Welcome to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. In today's episode, we will be unpacking the words harm and accountability, two terms which are regularly used and seldom defined. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour, hi. Toute la journée, man, it goes. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour, hi. Toute la journée, man, it goes. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour. So welcome back to fucking canceled. Yeah, welcome. Um, yeah, so I guess today um, we, we've been thinking a lot about how basically like the entire purpose, ostensibly anyways, of cancel culture um, is to identify situations of like quote-unquote harm and then respond to them in some way um and obviously like there's there's like often a huge lack of clarity in what is meant both by harm um and also i mean other terms that are thrown around like uh, abuse gaslighting um stuff like that that you'll see a lot in the nexus and um the term accountability which is is like the go-to term um, when people are discussing like what kinds of uh, responses there should be to harm. Yeah. And like initially for this episode, um, I wanted to unpack a framework that I came up with that is like sort of pulling apart four aspects um, of what kind of gets lumped under the word accountability um, so that we could like be more clear about like what actually people are doing when they're using the word accountability um, and like how those things are effective or not effective depending on the circumstance so that there could just be more clarity around it. But then when Jay and I started to talk about this um, immediately, like when I was looking at my my piece that I wrote, um, which you can find, it's actually in my zine, um, fuck the police means we don't act like cops to each other. Basically, I titled the I titled the piece like four possible responses to harm. And then we like went down this rabbit hole because the word harm is also like the word accountability in the way that like people just use it in this incredibly nebulous and vague way. Um, And people can be like accused of causing harm as like an accusation unto itself, um, which I think is like incredibly vague and not super helpful. So then we started to think about how we could like break that down further and get a little bit more clarity about that word too. And so This episode is our attempt to, like, offer some more clarity on these terms. And actually, to be honest, we're pretty much rejecting the terms harm and accountability because they're so vague at this point that they're not super useful. And we're kind of offering other ways of talking about um, the ideas that those words are sort of pointing towards. Yeah, like, I think we're not alone in having looked at both of these words being used really, really often and being like, okay, but what does that mean? Like, literally, what the fuck does that mean? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I often what I do is kind of like intellectualize and try to like figure things out by writing a little essay about it. So that's what I did. And I was sort of like mostly focusing on this concept of harm. And I was like, okay, like, um, harm really like can refer to so many different things. It can refer to uh, when someone actually has been hurt or injured in some way, but also just when someone like feels hurt or injured. Um, and yeah, basically, I was like, you know, and it can also it can also refer to like very severe things like, um, I don't know, like child abuse or something versus it can also refer to when someone says they feel harmed because of uh, like a 
you know, an off-color joke or something like that. Yeah, right? or like a Twitter post that they didn't like or something. Right, exactly. And so I was like, what is sort of like in common with all these different things? And I was like, these are all situations of like kind of conflict or maybe conflict isn't the best word because conflict can be um, um, sort of put in juxtaposition with things like abuse. And I was like, maybe there's a word like discord um, that could be used. But basically these situations where somebody feels hurt or somebody has been hurt. Um, and I was like, okay, so now that we have that kind of like arena in place, um, what are some ways that we can start kind of subdividing these and categorizing them in some way so that we can really know what we're talking about? And right away, when I was talking about this with Clementine, um, something that came up was that there's this like major sort of, um, dividing line between different kinds of situations where somebody feels hurt, um, different situations of discord. And that is whether or not a boundary has been broken. Yeah. And so we're actually going to be talking about boundaries a lot um, in this episode because it's kind of like a foundational concept to all of this. Um, But basically, yeah, we're going to put forward two models to talk through these ideas. And the first one, um, which Jay was just talking about, um, to sort of break down what is meant by the word harm, is a model that Jay came up with, which um, we're calling breach versus integrity. Um, and so basically in situations of integrity, a boundary hasn't been violated. Um, and in situations of breach, a boundary has been violated. Right. And so like in this case, breach is like used in the sense of something being breached, something being broken, right? Um, the way that a, you know, like a castle wall can be like breached. Um, and in that way, um, it is referring to that active like violation of a boundary. And then integrity is doing a double duty here where it both means integrity in the sense of wholeness. Um, so like the, the castle wall in this case has maintained its integrity um, and integrity in the sense of like one's own kind of like um, uh, responsibility and, and so on and so forth, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like in situations of, of integrity – um, where someone has has felt harmed, basically what we're talking about is, you know, a scenario where someone um, someone's actions have caused some kind of like feeling of hurt, but no one's boundaries have actually been violated in in any way. Um, and we could think of some examples um, that could be like. Um, a, an argument in good faith that you have with your friend about some topic um, where, you know, no one has been called any names, like there's been nothing was happening sort of like unconsensually or whatever, but you might come away from it feeling sort of like hurt that your friend didn't understand you or something like that. Or that your friend has a different opinion than you, right? Like even just just disagreement in and of itself um, is often framed as harm, right? Um, but in fact, like two people... Um, disagreeing is not actually breaking anyone's boundary. Um, another example that um, I've actually given in an article that I wrote that I think applies here is basically that like if say you're in like a long-term relationship with someone and you realize that you're like not into the relationship anymore, you don't you don't want to keep dating this person, you don't have those feelings for this person anymore, um, but you don't want to sort of like break up with them because you're like conflict avoidant and you're, 
you're afraid of hurting them, right? And and so like this could go one of two ways. Like in in scenario A, you like you're like okay, I'm conflict avoidant, but I'm going to do it anyway. And you like break up with the person um, with as much kindness as you can, but like you end the relationship. Um, and so in this scenario, the person might be really hurt and might even frame that as having been harmed. Like we've seen situations like this where breakups happen and people feel really really hurt and they even kind of feel like something's been done to them, right? But that person was actually acting in their integrity by being honest about their own boundaries and being like, this isn't the type of relationship that I want to have with you anymore. Whereas in scenario B, if the same situation, but the person is like, look, I don't want to hurt my partner. I'm conflict avoidant. So instead, I'm going to kind of be dishonest and like cross my own boundary and just sort of go along with this relationship while like emotionally withdrawing or whatever. And so this is like the conflict avoidance strategy, but like actually you're kind of violating the other person's boundaries by doing that because this person signed up for a relationship that was like consensual and reciprocal with someone who wanted to be with them, right? So like even though you may not be hurting this person like in the sort of overt way of like, you know, breaking up with them, you're actually hurting them kind of way more because you're preventing them from seeking out a relationship with someone who does want that kind of kind of relationship with them. Right. Right. Um, and so like actually being honest um, and communicating often like that can it can cause conflict. It can like hurt people's feelings, um, but it's still in the realm of integrity rather than breach. Yeah. And to be clear, um, you know, here at fucking canceled, we are not into shaming people. And um, to be clear, like, I think the scenarios like that happen often. You know? Absolutely. And, and it's not like uh, it's not the end of the world that something like that may have happened to you. Um, or that you may have been involved in something like that. Um, yeah. And then, so like in, in, in these scenarios of like integrity, um, you know, you, if you are the one who sort of like has been like accused of causing harm or something like that, or maybe suspect that you've caused harm or something, um, you know, if you look at it and you're like, actually like nobody's boundaries were violated, like I'm acting in my own integrity and so on, like you are not, um, actually like your responsibility for the situation is the way I framed it in my little essay was um, your your responsibility is kind of passive. Like it's assumed like you don't actually have to go and like do anything in order to be responsible because you are you are being responsible mm-hmm. by by acting in your integrity. Right now, in contrast, there's the situations of breach. Right. So that is, again, where somebody's boundaries have been um, violated in some way. And in those cases, I think it's much more clear that at least one of the parties involved does have to be responsible in a more active way. Or like I, I say has to be responsible, but I mean it would be it would, it would be appropriate be, yeah. if they were responsible, right? Maybe the word should is better. Like yeah. 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 It would yeah, it, they should or it would it would be appropriate if they were responsible. It would, it would be appropriate if they made amends of some of some kind, often, right? But Again, this is a, a complicated thing um, because boundaries are a complicated thing, and there are many different kinds of boundaries, right? Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about some some types of boundaries. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I hope this is all making sense because we're kind of just, like, dropping this framework on everybody. But basically, yeah, integrity is when you are acting in alignment with your own principles and values and you are not crossing anyone else's boundaries, Um, breach is a situation in which you have crossed someone's boundaries. Um, and also to be clear, like Jay was saying earlier, like 
we're not saying that these situations are all like horrible end of the world situations that you're like a terrible monster if you did this. Like just being a human being means like we're probably going to be crossing people's boundaries from time to time in minor and sometimes more major ways. The goal is obviously not to do that, but these things obviously are part of like human relationships and whatever. For sure. And, and also just to jump in real quick, like um, there are scenarios of where people are totally acting in their integrity and so on, um, where somebody might feel profoundly hurt um, and, and scenarios where somebody's boundaries have clearly been violated that are much more minor and no one feels very hurt at all. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, okay. So in terms of breach and looking at what boundaries are, um, one of the first things um, that Jay pulled out is that there is implicit boundaries that can kind of be assumed, and then there's explicit boundaries that have been communicated. Um, and so this gets tricky, but we're going to just sort of unpack that a little bit. So like an implicit boundary is an abound- is a boundary that you can assume anybody would have, um, and that you should sort of just like go about your life assuming that those boundaries are there and not crossing them. And they're similar to like rights. Yeah, you could use that language for it. Um, and so basically like an example would be don't punch someone in the face, you know, without, unless they ask you to, um, it's like, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, you should assume that that would be an inappropriate behavior in any circumstance. right? Right. Um, and so like sort of like physical autonomy, um, those are sort of implicit boundaries that are just, you know, everybody should Everybody has those boundaries, um, unless there's, like, some kind of exceptional circumstances, like I just alluded to, um, where you're, like, consensually being, like, I would like those boundaries to be broken. Um, But we should just assume don't assault people, um, don't, you know, lock people in a room. Um, Bodily autonomy is an implicit boundary. Other things that we've included under implicit boundaries that actually under, like, the terrible, nightmarish, capitalist culture that we live in, these boundaries are broken all the time, is that actually, like, a person's um, access to what they need to both survive and also to live a human life is an implicit boundary. And we believe this as socialists. Yeah. Um, And so what that means is that, like, when a person is denied housing— um, their their human boundary of needing a place to live is actually um, being violated by basically by capitalism and by a government that is not providing housing to the people who live there. Right. Um, other things include like um, food, healthcare, like basic human needs like that. And also we would include in this things like community um, and like relationships and Also, like, you know, the capacity to act in your own self-interest and pursue your goals. Um, And I think that, like, a lot of people don't assume that those are sort of, like, given um, rights rights or, like, things that people just are deserving of. But we fundamentally do believe that, um, that these are not things that we should have to earn. These are not things that actually should ever be taken away from people, Um Basically, we'll get into this more, but like there's there's very, very few circumstances where we believe it is appropriate to cross these implicit boundaries that each human being has a right to. Um, and so, you know, we got into this big discussion when we were kind of talking about like what 
what are implicit boundaries and like how can we sort of assume what implicit boundaries are beyond the obvious things of like don't punch someone in the face and like part of that would be like what we called um consideration and so like basically you know treating people kind of like treating people how you would like to be treated sort of thing where you're you're treating people with basic human decency um and kindness to the best of your ability in your day-to-day life Right. And, and the question comes up of like, is it a right to be treated with um, consideration by other people? And honestly, it's tricky um, for a lot of reasons. And one of those is that like what considerate behavior looks like is going to be different from person to person and also from culture to culture. Um, so it's not always clear. So I don't know. I was basically sort of being like, wow, like all of this actually hinges around what is a valid boundary and what is like a right and um, and what we can expect, you know? I mean, I would say that it is a valid boundary that you can be treated with, you should be treated with consideration by everybody. I don't think that that's the question. I think the question is, is how do we define consideration? Um, because the issue is, is that not everybody feels the same way about what it means to be considerate, right? Right. Um, and so, yeah, like you said, there's cultural differences, and also there's just differences from person to person, right? So, like, um, this is where explicit boundaries come in because it's like, you know, we can assume, we should assume that it's not cool to, like, punch someone in the face randomly, um, but we don't actually necessarily know what treating someone else with consideration looks like unless we've had that conversation, right? And this is where, like, a lot of, like, communication breakdowns and, like, conflict can happen because we sort of assume. And, like, even the statement, like, treat others how you'd like to be treated assumes that others want to be treated how you would like to be treated, right? And this causes all sorts of, like, relationship issues and, like, drama because people are trying to be considerate based on, like, their own understanding of, like, what they would like to be treated as. Um, And then it's not the same for the other person, and the other person was sort of assuming that it was, like, an implicit boundary that was, like, you know, easily understood. So it's, like, a good idea to have those conversations, you know? Um, And it might seem weird to, like, sort of spell it out to your friends or your dates or your communities or whatever, like, the basics of how you like to be treated, But it actually can go a long way um, in terms of, like, you know, just, like, smoothing over conflict and also, like, figuring out if your boundaries match, which we'll get into more later. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, like, there's people who, for example, are, like, they just sort of assume that, like, dating someone new means that you're going to text every day. Um, and, th- and they would be, like, hurt if that didn't happen because they just assume that that's, like, a given. But the other person may have no idea that you consider that a given. Um, and that may not be something that that person is actually, like, feels comfortable with as an expectation, right? And because nobody's had this conversation and there's been no compromise or discussion about it, it just leads to, like, confusion and hurt feelings. So... Yeah, or, like, I, I know people who strongly feel that they should... Um, that basically like their that non-monogamy is like a norm that has to be like negotiate like has to be negotiated if somebody wants to be monogamous um, when they meet new people, right? Um, whereas most people would say that if they start dating someone that monogamy is the norm. Is and that true though? I think that most people think that. Like at least if you're sort of like seeing somebody seriously or whatever. Right? Yeah, that's the thing. But it's confusing. I mean, okay, right. like the point is that it's confusing. Yeah, like full disclosure, we're polyamorous and we're like talking about monogamous people and trying to understand what the hell's going on. But like <laughs> <laughs> basically like my understanding is that in sort of like dating culture for monogamous people now, 
there is like this period of basically like uh, non-monogamy that is like normal in which it is seen as like um, acceptable to sort of date multiple people at the same time until you become serious. But like what that means when serious happens is like not clearly defined or understood as the same. And so without a conversation about that, you could be having really hurt feelings where someone assumes that you've reached a level of monogamy and the other person thinks you're still casual and are seeing other people. Right. Um, and so these kinds of communication issues can happen all the time in all sorts of different circumstances. Um, and you know, it could be like, I don't know, as simple as like, just like, I don't know. I can't think of a good example right now. <laughs> I can't think of a good example, but just like, there's just like small etiquette things, you know, um, where like, I don't know, someone might be like really offended if you didn't say like, bless you or something after they sneezed, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. They might see that as like rude or something where somebody else might be like, what? Like, I would never think of something like that. Right. Yeah. And so like how behavior is being interpreted is like very context specific and it depends on the person. It depends on like how they were brought up and like. Yeah. Or like cultural things like yeah. not taking off your shoes in a house or something. Exactly. could be like really, really rude to people from like a certain culture. Exactly. Whereas it would be normal in like the States. Yeah, exactly. So the States, anyway. it's like have that conversation basically. Yeah. Um, and so that's part of like understanding what a breach is because because it's like, you know, if a, if a boundary has been communicated to you explicitly and you've agreed to it and then you, you break that boundary, that is a, a breach. Um, and if you break what would widely be considered an implicit boundary, such as violating someone's bodily autonomy, that is also a breach. Right. Um, but not all breaches are the same. And yeah. so I was thinking of some other like further subdivisions that could be made um, to sort of like flush out this categorization. Um, some of the main ones were whether the behavior in question is ongoing or if it's singular, like if it just happened once, um, whether it's relatively severe or relatively minor in its outcome, um, whether it's intentional or unintentional, um, and also whether it's escapable or not. Basically, like whether the person who's being subjected to the behavior is easily able to leave or stop the behavior from occurring or whether um, one of the parties is trapped. Yeah. Yeah. And so basically in scenarios where the behavior in question is like ongoing, it's severe in its consequences, it's intentional, and somebody is not able to escape, um, that's characteristic of like scenarios of severe abuse. Yeah. Right. Um, whereas, you know, a, a behavior that is uh, just happens once, it's relatively minor, um, it wasn't on purpose, and it's very easy to avoid it in the future, um, that could just, you know, um, it's just like all you need to do is apologize, right? It's like stepping on somebody's foot or, exactly. or like, I don't know, pronouncing somebody's name wrong or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And these are just like part of like <coughs> having relationships and like part of, um, yeah, just part of being human means that like we are probably going to be breaching periodically. We're going to be crossing people's boundaries like unintentionally um, in minor ways and like that's fine and we can like quickly repair and move on. Um, but yeah, so basically what you can see here is that all of these things, integrity, like actions based in integrity, breaches of various kinds ranging from like really minor to really severe are all lumped under the term harm. Um, very often. In cancel culture. Yeah. It's, like, very, very often. So, like, you'll see, um, you know, examples of someone, you know, posting online on their Twitter, um, like, their political views, and people will accuse them of harm for that. Um, they will say it is harmful. And then you will also have situations where, like, someone is, you know, being accused of, like, some kind of severe domestic violence, 
And also that will just be called harm, you know? And so this is like a big problem because just using the word harm, I mean, I've actually seen an increase in this more and more and more where like accusations now often just are, they've been accused of harm. Like I've seen this. Right. And and that tells you literally nothing about what this person has been accused of. Um, But it justifies this huge response that people call accountability, um, which is often a cancel campaign. Um, And it's like really hard to see if the response is in any way proportionate to what happened. It's really hard to see if the response is in any way effective in addressing what happened. Um, And it's also really hard to see if it's even appropriate to be having any kind of response like this. Because in a situation of integrity where a person is not violating anyone's boundaries, it's really inappropriate to respond to that in like a controlling and aggressive way that violates that person's boundaries. Right. Um, Because it's fine to challenge them. It's fine to say, I don't agree. It's fine to like write your own post where you're like, I don't agree or whatever it is. Um, But that's not obviously what happens in cancel culture. And we see people being, um, you know, harassed and like going through all sorts of really intense um, punishment under the using the language of like harm and accountability yeah so that i'm I'm hoping that makes sense um and so we're basically like we're just presenting this as a framework it's not necessarily the only way of thinking about this um yeah and i came up with this kind of thing like basically like two nights ago so although it is something that we've been thinking about a lot it's not like i'm not saying that you should um, consider this to be like the be all and end all of like philosophy on the subject of conflict. You yeah, know? but it's interesting because it's like we really want to invite our listeners to unpack these words, and it's like yeah. use this use this framework if it's helpful for you. Like think through it, like look at its limitations, look at like what 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 other questions it brings up for you. If you have like other ways of thinking about it, like cool, like we invite you to write about that, talk about that. Yeah, like we just we encourage you to think about it for yourself and try to distinguish between different scenarios of people stating that harm has occurred because we have to be able to do that as social creatures, right? Exactly. Um, because like harm of, or like hurt feelings or whatever, a discord of various kinds is occurring literally constantly in a society. That's part of what makes a society a society. It's impossible to, to avoid, right? Um, and also I would say that as people who are interested in anarchism, um, even if you're not like a full-blown anarchist, a, a lot of people are sort of interested in anarchism as a philosophical, uh, philosophical position um, and so forth. And I think that if that's the case, like we do really have to think about these things because we're trying to think ultimately about what a sort of like future society could look like that was not um, a society dominated by carceral systems um, and top-down hierarchies. Yeah, and I mean, you can definitely tell that we are anarchists in in our, our framing, um, and we've only touched on it a little bit in terms of capitalism, but it is definitely true that like these larger systems of power, like the state and like capitalism, are violating people's boundaries all the time, right? Like, that's the background um, that we live in. Um, and this, these frameworks that we're putting forward are about sort of, like, interpersonal relationship issues and when we are violating each other's boundaries. Um, but we're kind of assuming that it goes without saying that there's also this larger um, context in which our boundaries are being violated by capitalism. Yeah, and also just, like, to, to, to point out that, like, again, ostensibly cancel culture is supposed to be a way of dealing with interpersonal conflict without um, the use of the state. Yeah, supposedly. Supposedly, right? And so given that it's clearly not working, um, we should be thinking about 
we should be unpacking it and trying to figure out what is actually going on. So basically that, yeah, that's, that's our, our little framework for sort of like trying to unpack like what harm means. Um, and then to move on, uh, Clementine had this, this sort of, um, this way of unpacking what is often lumped under the term accountability, but is rarely sort of like teased out. And people often use the word accountability without ever stating what exactly they mean by it, um, what the goals are. Um, and But I think more importantly, what the underlying sort of um, like push is, like why is it that accountability is needed and what do you want out of it? Yeah. And like, to be honest, I actually hate the word accountability at this point. Yeah, I never use it. I don't use it. I think it's incredibly vague. Um, it's just been misused like so intensely that it means nothing. Yeah, and it's also used to justify overtly abusive behavior regularly. And it, remi- it reminds me of like accountants and corporations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. just like, I don't think it's a very useful word. Um, controversial, controversial take there, but I don't think it's a useful word. Um, and I actually think it obscures... The, like what we're actually trying to do. Um, and so I wanted to like totally pull it apart because basically I see when, cause obviously I'm like out here writing about cancel culture, talking about cancel culture and like, I'm getting a lot of pushback all the time with living pe- cancel culture. Yeah. Just literally living it. <laughs> um, and I'm getting a lot of pushback all the time with people, especially when I had my comments turned on, oh my God, with people being like, you know, well, what about this? And what about that? And like all of these different sort of, um, pieces that they saw that were part of accountability, but they're distinct things, right? And I'm like, well, we can actually, not only can we achieve these goals without canceling people, canceling people is actually preventing us from achieving these goals. Um, And that is a big problem. And like, it bothers me a lot when people accuse those of us who reject cancel culture of sort of like not caring about violence or like not caring about people behaving in ways that are really um, like violating other people's boundaries. I care about that extremely deeply as a survivor. And, you know, we're going to get into it more, but like, you know, both Jay and I have experience with taking responsibility for uh like behaviors that were crossing other people's boundaries for shitty things that we did, you know, Um, because we are addicts and we have experience in 12 steps. Um, And also we have experience with like intervening and actually actively ending violence, you know? So I'm like, I have tons to say about this and I really believe in it. I think it's super important. I want people to have access to these knowledge and skills. It's just that cancel culture literally doesn't do these things. We just keep pretending like it does. So I want to pull apart what are the different sort of, um, possible responses to situations of either breach or situations of like integrity, but like that person's integrity is just not working for you. Is that, is that a way of putting it? Yeah. It's like, cause sometimes there's situations of breach where it's like your, your boundaries have been crossed. Okay. So what do you do? Or somebody else's boundaries have been crossed around like near you or that you know of, what do you do? But then there's also situations where it's like, okay, my boundaries weren't crossed but I'm really pissed off and I'm really hurt. Um, I'm really mad about what this other person is doing, even though my boundaries haven't been crossed, right? Right. Um, And so accountability, as we currently use the word, is attempting to address all of those different situations. Right. And we're calling all of those situations harm. Right. Um, And so let's talk about what we could be doing instead that would be more effective and more uh, specific to, like, the actual situation that is happening. Um, So the first thing that I want to talk about is responsibility. And I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, 
Um, but I'm super stoked on responsibility. I think it's extremely important. Um, and so we basically divided responsibility up into a couple components. Right. Um, so the first is that generally speaking in the world, you need to be able to like know your own boundaries, know your own values and principles and act within these. Yeah. And so it's basically like a foundation. It's like, how can we be responsible for ourselves if we don't even know sort of like what our needs are, what our boundaries are, um, and also what our values and principles are, right? Like we need a framework to work within. Um, and that's part of being like a responsible actor in the world is like knowing um, what we need, what we don't accept, and like what our principles are. Right. And and we have, I mean, well, to use the word again, we have a responsibility to know what our own fucking boundaries are. Yeah, it's, it's actually a really important piece because as we discussed, you know, in the breach part, like there's like this idea of implicit or explicit boundaries. And a lot of people just sort of operate in this way where they're kind of like, well, my boundaries are obvious. And if somebody crossed my boundaries, that's, you know, that's on them. They caused harm. But it's like, did you in any kind of way communicate your boundary? And it's like, sure, like I said, you know, punching someone in the face is like obvious. Like you don't need to go up to someone and be like, hi, like I just have a boundary about being punched in the face, obviously. But it's like other things that maybe are not so obvious you do have to communicate them and not just that, but you have to negotiate them in your different relationships because other people have boundaries too and your boundaries might not align with each other. Right. And boundary work is like really, really difficult. Um, some people have an easier time with it than others for sure. But like trauma can contribute to being like, uh, to, to, to finding it really difficult, but also just like, uh, being generally kind of like a little bit conflict avoidant can make it really difficult or having, you know, parts of yourself that you don't like to look at can make it pretty difficult. And, you know, um, Knowing all your boundaries perfectly is something that takes like years of work, often a lot of therapy and so on. And so, again, it's like we don't want to shame people. If you yeah. if you've had situations where you only figured out your boundaries like after the fact or something like that's totally fucking normal. Um, and I myself struggle with, um, uh, you know, stating my boundaries on occasion and, you know. Oftentimes, if you've had your boundaries crossed a lot, like it can make it even harder to to state your boundaries because you're like, what if people just step over them? It might be better if I just don't state them and then I can kind of like try to control the situation yeah. um, um, in other ways. Yeah. So, And we're going to get more into boundaries <clears throat> in the next section um, and go into more detail about this. Um, but yeah, I think what Jay is saying is really, really important. Um, so we're talking about kind of like ideal behaviors, right? That, that doesn't mean that everyone is going to be awesome at this all the time. No, you know? um, absolutely not. And it, and it's not like, yeah, like our whole thing is like, you know, don't, we're encouraging you not to shame yourself or, or treat yourself like you're a piece of shit because you have not lived up to like, you know, your ideal of like taking responsibility for yourself. Like we don't think that you should pull yourself up by your bootstraps. No. We think that everyone should be helping each other all the time with this kind of thing. And the more educated we all are about it, um, the better we can do that. Yeah. And it just so happens that Jay and I have so much experience with this shit because of our crazy lives that we've lived that like we're out here trying to like have these conversations and like share this knowledge with people because we don't talk about this stuff enough. Right. So knowing your own boundaries, that's a big can of worms, but part of being responsible is like figuring that out. Like what are your boundaries? Um, another piece of responsibility is respecting the boundaries of others, um, and acting in good faith, right? It's like, it's basically like, you know, obviously there's the, um, 
there's the implicit boundaries that we talked about. You should be assuming those. You should be um, curious about what people's boundaries are. You know, you can't read someone's mind. You don't know what their boundaries are, but it should be a basic kind of practice in our relationships to, to talk about these things and to like ask people like, you know, what, um, I don't know, like this is like in the context of like sex and consent and stuff, but like the basic question of kind of like, yeah, like are there, are there things that you're like really not into or that are like kind of like a hard limit for you? That's like a basic kind of like sex consent question, but it's also like a question that you could just sort of bring into your relationships about like how people like to be treated generally, right? Um, Especially when you're like building a sort of new relationship with someone, especially with romantic relationships, there's like tons of assumptions that get made and never communicated directly about, about how that relationship is going to function, right? Yeah. So like, you know, actually having transparent conversations um, instead of making assumptions and like hoping that you're on the same page um, is really important. But when people do um, communicate boundaries and state what they are, part of being responsible is that we have to respect other people's boundaries. Um, The next piece, do you want to say the next piece? Yeah. um, So the next element of responsibility is the responsibility to repair, like when things have gone wrong, right? And I think this is where this most intersects with what people tend to call accountability. Um, And it is that, yeah, like if, if you have like breached someone's boundaries, um, it is a good idea for you to try to repair that in some way. Um, it's not always possible, um, but it is desirable, right? Yeah. Um, really importantly, though. Oh wait. Um, oh yeah. I mean, it's also it's also really important to try to repair things when you've acted outside of your own boundaries as well. Yeah. So like we. We like not just your own boundaries, but your principles. So like when we were discussing this, because we have experience with making amends, right? So we're like thinking about this through the lens of making amends. Um, And so sometimes it's like really obvious that you've like crossed someone's boundaries. You're like, yeah, I was like drunk and I like screamed in this person's face or whatever. And you need to like make amends for that. Right. Um, But there's other times and like this came up in our conversation today where it's like, you know, um, you make an amends for something because you're thinking about it. You're like, wow, like I really didn't treat this person well. Um, and I want to make an amends and you make the amends and that person's like, oh, like that was, that's not a big deal to me. Like I don't feel hurt by that at all, but thank you anyway. And so in that case, it's actually interesting because what's revealed by that is like, you actually didn't cross that person's boundaries. What you did is you actually stepped outside of your own principles so or your own values. So basically you might have a value that's like, I'm just like thinking of a random example, but it's like, you might have a value that is like, you know, it's important to me to like check in on my friends regularly. That's like a value that I have about um, my my relationships, you know, and I didn't check in on this friend. I sort of went months without, you know, texting or something. And so I'm making an amends um, to this person. And then the person communicates to you, like, actually, in my relationship style, I actually don't mind going months without talking to my friend. I can, like, talk to someone, you know, a couple times a year and still feel close to that person. So that's not my own boundary, right? Um, but, you, but you still, you know, the reason you felt... Um, bad about it is not because you actually crossed that person's boundary because you didn't. It's actually because you have a value, um, which is important too. Like it's important for you to have values and principles and to act within them to the best of your ability. And so it's okay to make amends for that too, but it's kind of more of an amends for you at that point. For sure. And I think a lot of people who go through the steps end up having scenarios like this. Um, like, I don't know, I was like sort of seeing this guy and I kind of, uh, Basically, I, I kind of ghosted on him, even though he was like super nice to me and stuff. But I was just like a drunk and like kind of having a chaotic life. And um, when I got sober and was going through my steps, I ended up like getting in touch with him and apologizing. 
Um, and he was sort of like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, so basically that, that's more revealing for me than it was for him. Um, and it just tells me that, yeah, I have a, a value where I, I don't want to sort of like drop out of people's lives, um, if possible or, you know, yeah. Yeah. And so like, basically we just want to unpack what, what it means to take responsibility when we have, um, I'm honestly like, I'm so trained to constantly use the phrase caused harm and I'm like actively trying not to use it because it's like so vague. Um, so when we have, um, crossed someone's boundaries and we want to make repair and like in 12 steps, there's like a whole, um, process through which we do this. Right. And it's not something that is practiced, um, in the nexus at all. And it is not something that is practiced or even like understood in the context of these like spectacles and these calls for accountability. Right. Um, so yeah, let's just like unpack a little bit about what responsibility looks like in the context of 12 steps. So there's a few things. One, and this is the most important thing is that taking responsibility can only come from a place of willingness. It has to be something that is freely undertaken. Um, you cannot force someone to take responsibility. It's actually impossible. It's not just that you should not. I mean, you also should not, but you actually can't because responsibility, true responsibility um, for taking responsibility for, um, God, I just want to be like harming other people, um, for harming other people, for crossing people's boundaries, for like shitty behavior that we've done, whatever you want to call it. Um, that kind of work is like deeply transformative work. It's deep work and it actually has to be done well. Like it can't just be glossed over because otherwise you're just going to be performing responsibility. You're going to be sort of like showing people what you think they want, um, you know, what they want to see, but it's not real. And that's so that's just not a good idea. It's not good for anyone involved because the person is not actually taking responsibility. They're not actually transforming. They're not actually doing the work that they need to do to like heal whatever is going on for them, to get the supports that they need to change. They're probably not able to change their behavior in an ongoing way because they haven't figured out what the hell is going on for them, right? And so like one of the worst things you can do is like make an amends to someone and then continue to act in that exact same way, right? right? It's right. like awful. So you shouldn't make an amends if you're not ready. And you shouldn't make an amends just because you're being harassed on the internet and bullied into making an amends. Well, it's not a real amends then. It's not an amends. And like, uh, a, you know, a responsible adult is an autonomous person, mm -hmm. right? And autonomy means that you're not being fucking forced yeah. to do something. Exactly. And so that I think is like fundamental. Um, and it's something that gets glossed over constantly in the nexus or I mean completely ignored yeah absolutely or actively opposed <laughs> it's actively opposed yeah. right like you'll you'll frequently hear the language of refusing accountability or like how do I you know what do I do if this person refuses to be responsible for their actions or refuses to be accountable it's like well I mean and we're gonna get into that like there's you know there's things that you can do but you actually can't force that person to be responsible. It's actually not something that you're able to do. And I wish that people understood that because it's just something that you're powerless over. You can't make someone else do that. And I'm not saying that that doesn't suck. It fucking sucks and it hurts a lot. Um, and you know, I think a lot of survivors when they hear this, this sort of phrasing and like also how firm I am about it, they feel really hurt and like helpless because they're like, well, how am I ever going to get justice? Like, how am I ever going to heal if this person won't be responsible? You know? And I actually think that this is, like, an unfortunate side effect of, like, you know, a lot of the discourses around um, 
survivors and around violence that like floats around in the nexus where we've somehow attached our own healing to other people taking responsibility, which is absurd and dangerous for survivors. Because the reality is, is that for many of us, we will never get the responsibility that we deserve. And it doesn't mean that we don't deserve it. We absolutely do. Um, but we can't make someone else do it. Right. And like, I'm estranged from my parents, you know, I understand deeply how much it hurts when you want someone to take responsibility and you fucking wish that they would and they just don't, you know? Um, and sometimes that means you have to have a really firm boundary with that person. Hence my estrangement, you know? So it's not to say that it doesn't fucking suck that we can't force it, you know, but we actually can't. Um, and so that just is a reality. And then from there in the 12 step model, basically what happens is that like a person willingly and of their own desire enters into a process of healing and recovery for themselves. Right. And the first piece of this actually has nothing to do with taking responsibility, um, for their fucked up behaviors. Like in the beginning, you know, it starts because they're in so much pain and they know that their life is, you know, that things are wrong in their life and that they need to sort things out. And so it comes from a place of wanting to heal. Um, not just, you know, a place of like wanting to be good or wanting to like, you know, not feel guilty, but a place of like being like, wow, like I'm in pain and something has to change. Right. Yeah. And often a place of just like unbearable shame. Yeah. Totally. And like, I mean, in 12 steps, they use this language of like hitting rock bottom or just like being in a place of like, fuck man, shit really sucks. And like, I really need to be doing something different. And so I'm willing to try something different. Right. Yeah. And then from there, what happens is that this person is surrounded by community. And so when we're talking about taking responsibility, you know, there is this emphasis on the individual in the sense that the individual alone can be willing Nobody can do that for them. That willingness has to come from the individual. But responsibility isn't something that we do alone. It's actually something that we do surrounded by community who, like, deeply care for us, who are helping us, who are, like, taking care of us. Um, and so, like, in a 12-step model, you'll be, like, you know, the sketchiest, most problematic person in the world. And you will have, like, all of these random strangers coming up to you, giving you coffee, like, being like, here's my phone number, call me anytime. You're just given, like, an abundance of, like, love and support. Right. And there is no compulsion at any stage and no mechanism to compel anyone to do anything. No. And it's not contingent. They're not like, we're giving you this love and support now because we know you're going to take responsibility in the future. Right. Even if you never did take responsibility in the future, that, that love and that community is actually, like... It's unconditionally given. Right. You know, it doesn't mean that you can, like, go around punching people in the face. Like, they'll probably have a boundary with you if you do that. Yeah. But, like, the fact that you've done these other fucked up things in your life is not going to make anyone withdraw community and support and care from you. Which, again, is absolutely the opposite of what we see happening in the nexus and in cancel culture, right? right? Where what happens is everybody's community, like, if you've been canceled, your community is taken from you. Um, right. And also, it's important to note that, like, while this... Like the responsibility that then gets like built up um, does happen in the context of a community. It is not a spectacle. No. Um, and you do not have to sort of like uh, recite your crimes or something like that um, in front of a group of people. Although, you know, you can definitely talk about things that you might have done at a meeting or something like that. Yeah. And there is actually a process in the steps in which you do share all the fucked up shit you did with one person. With one person. With, a, with one trusted person who absolutely holds that in a sacred trust and does not share that with anyone, right? And the process of that is just to be seen as a full human being 
um, with everything, with all of the shit that you're most ashamed of, and to see that you're still held with compassion and dignity, even with all of that there, you know? Because a lot of people feel like if anybody knew the worst things about me, I would not be loved. I would not have community, right? Mm -hmm. And this process shows that that's not true and that you can show the worst things that you've done to someone and that that person is still committed to your humanity and is still committed to your growth and wants to help you move towards stepping into your integrity because they believe that, that your integrity is also you. You're not defined by the worst things you've ever done. You're actually defined by your willingness to like be here and do this work, right? Yeah. That's like an incredibly brave thing. Um, and so from there, you know, you you do all of this work where you like really look at what the hell was going on for you. You look at like your own trauma. You're like encouraged to get outside support if you need it, like going to therapy. You figure out what was going on with your behaviors and then you start to work towards changing those behaviors um, in an ongoing and consistent way. And that's like a really important part of taking responsibility is like the ongoing change. And then you go into this whole process of looking at what was that like for the other person? you know, and developing like deep and true empathy, not performative empathy where it's like people are screaming at me on the internet and I want them to stop. You actually think about, wow, like I, whatever, like was screaming at this person when I was drunk. How did that feel for them? Like what was the emotional experience for them of like their friend turning on them like that, you know, and saying horrible things? Um, and you, develop your compassion and your empathy and you really understand like, wow, what that felt like, you know? And then actually there's a, there's a process of repair. Um, and that can look different depending on the situation. Like it always includes ongoing changed behavior. Um, it usually includes a direct amends where you actually meet with the person. Like you ask their consent first to see if they want to do this. And then if they do, you meet with them, you, explain to them your understanding of what happened you express your your remorse um and like your like yeah your understanding of like what that must have been like for them and you apologize like sincerely you know and like that is such a transformative experience um that really changes so much like I have made amends I've helped people to do the work to make amends I have received amends and it's like pr extremely powerful and transformative like mostly people just want to know that their pain matters to the other person and that it's not something that is just being shrugged off and that the person takes it seriously that they hurt them in that way right um and then sometimes there's other things that need to be done like more concrete things in terms of like repairing the relationship if that's what's going to happen or like i don't know paying back money that you stole right um whatever right but that's what responsibility is in a 12-step context. And we've discussed this before on the podcast, but it's worth repeating that a really, really important element of all this is that you were given the tools during this process to determine whether or not you should be giving an immense to someone. Absolutely. You know, um, and a lot of people who are like just filled with shame will kind of just um, try to make amends for things that they shouldn't um, because that would not be... Uh, honest of them. Yeah, this goes back to the integrity versus breach, right? Like the whole thing that the, the work that you do with your sponsor is you go through all of these situations in which people are fucking mad at you and think that you're a piece of shit and you go through them and you figure it out. Was this a breach or was I acting in my integrity, right? Mm -hmm. And especially for people with trauma who like lean towards a fawn response or like people pleasing, you know, 
I thought, oh my God, I'm getting sober. I'm healing. I'm in recovery. No one's ever going to be mad at me again. You know, I'll be able to be good. I'll be able to be like apologetic and like filled with remorse and then people will forgive me. But it actually turned out that there were several instances where people thought I was a piece of shit, but I actually had not done anything wrong. I had not breached anyone's boundaries and I was actually acting in integrity, right? Um, And so this sucks for people pleasers to find out because they're like, oh man, you're telling me that like even after all of this, people are still going to hate me? And it's like, yeah, sometimes people are still going to hate you. That doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. Um, And also the better you get at enforcing your own boundaries, often the more people will fucking hate you. Absolutely. Because people struggle with other people's boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. And the more you grow into your integrity, the more that people are going to be mad about it. Like, that's at least my experience. Um, So that's basically an overview of responsibility. It's an incredibly important skill. It literally can range from just, like, a simple thing where it's, like, you know, you're just, like, wow, I was in an argument with my friend and I got kind of disrespectful. And then you just, like, check in with them later and you're, like, yo, like, I got kind of disrespectful and, like, that was not personal, you know? Yeah. Um, sorry about that. Right. Or it could be, like, a more serious thing where you're, like, wow, like, you know? Um, like, I recently made amends to someone for, like, basically canceling them or, like, basically, um, like, I've talked about it on the podcast before, but, like, saying that my ex was abusive when they weren't, you know? That's pretty serious. And, like, I made amends for that, you know? So, And then, obviously, my amends from, like, when I was drinking were, like, really serious. Um, so there's a whole range. Um, but this is such an important skill. And this is what it means. Like, when people are like, oh, this person isn't being accountable. Like, a piece of what they're talking about is that this person isn't taking responsibility, right? Um, but the problem is, there's a couple problems. One is that you're trying to force them to take to take responsibility, which is not something that is possible. And two, you're robbing them of everything that they need to be able to take responsibility. And then you're upset at the fact that they're not taking responsibility. But it's like they literally can't because you've driven them into a corner, taken away their entire community. They're literally like in a fight-flight nervous system response. They cannot in any kind of way do the deep, lengthy um, work. And also, yeah, like taking responsibility takes like over a year of work to like get there for most people, you know? It's not something you can demand and then just have it happen. For sure. And I've definitely seen it happen to people who, you know, they did something that is like objectively not okay um, and then got canceled. And then the, the, you know, they're like willing to sort of like try to change their behavior and all this kind of thing. But the um, impact of their cancellation psychologically uh, made them spiral um, until they had like a total break and then and then were completely unable to do a lot of the things, a lot of the work that they needed yeah. to do, right? And like the pace of it is crazy. Like they're like, you're called out and then like you're expected to like make like make a quote like accountability statement like yeah. later that day or something. That's and absurd. I'm, and I'm sure that anyone who has participated in like scenes that are very invested in like Nexus stuff have seen this occur like over and over again. Yeah. Okay. So that was a responsibility. Um, let's move on to boundaries. Let's move on to boundaries. Um, so... I guess, so boundaries are an important concept in a lot of, like, psychology stuff, a lot of self-help stuff, um, and also a lot of relationship counseling stuff. Um, And we definitely find them to be very, we find the concept to be very useful. Um, And so just to define it briefly, like, a boundary is basically a limit that you set about what kind of relationships and interactions you want to have with other people. Um, and so a boundary in that sense is something that you enforce yourself, right? It's not, um, something that you force other people to do. Um, it is, it is saying that I 
will be in a relationship with people who, you know, do this, but not people who do that. Um, or I will accept this kind of behavior, but not that kind of behavior in a relationship, which I'm in. And what that means is that if that really, if, if the person who, with whom you're in a relationship is, you know, breaking that boundary, um, you enforce it by removing yourself from that relationship, essentially. Um, obviously, there's other other sort of like interactions around that that can happen, like negotiation and, and compromise and so on and so forth. But essentially, a boundary is something that you enforce yourself. Yeah. And like an important piece of this is that it's it's focused on you, right? So it's like it's not saying you can't do this. Like my boundary is that you can't do this. Um, my boundary is that I don't date people who do that, for example. Um, so it's like, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like a random example. Um, I don't know, like I think a common- like raising your voice or something? Sure. Um, so for example, a boundary could be like in in arguments, like I actually won't, um, I won't tolerate it for people to yell at me, you know? And, that, and if someone starts yelling at me, I will leave. And that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, if someone starts yelling at me, I will break up with you or end the relationship. Maybe if it's like a chronic pattern where that that boundary is frequently being broken. But it's like, I actually want you to know that if you yell at me, I'm going to have to leave and come back to this once you're not you're no longer yelling. You know, that could right. be a boundary. Um, and that actually doesn't mean that that person isn't allowed to yell in um arguments because it's actually like this actually shocked me because I don't accept yelling at all like I would not be able to have someone yell at me um in an argument that would just never be acceptable to me um but there's other people who yell in arguments and they actually like that it's like a thing that they do that that both people are fine with you know um and so like I don't know maybe this person you know yells with their other friend and they both like yell at each other when they're arguing and both people are fine with that but it, and, and that's okay. That person yeah. is allowed to do that because both of the people have agreed that that's not break, breaking anyone's boundaries and they both feel good about it. But with you, if you're like, hey, actually, this is a boundary for me, it means they can't do it with you. Right. So that's basically what it means. Or it means that they, you know, can, but you will immediately leave. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so it's like, that's what a boundary is. It's not about saying what other people can and cannot do, but it's saying what your response will be if they do certain things and like how you're going to... Yeah, relate to it. So we just wanted to sort of talk a little bit about some like tools or like ways of relating um, to boundaries because it's a tricky topic. It actually is. And it's like so important and fundamental. And yet like we get no fucking education about this or like skills on how to actually know what boundaries are, or how to use them. For sure. And like the concept of boundaries being something that you enforce yourself is something that I was only introduced to like relatively recently because um, my other partner found out about it from a podcast. Right. Um, and I was just like fucking like my mind was blown and I was like, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> this is like very true and very important information. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah. Um, so, okay. The first thing we wanted to talk about, which we've already touched on a bit is just like, um, knowing and communicating your boundaries. Right. And like Jay went just like already explained this, but it's like for many people, knowing our boundaries can be like completely insanely hard, you know, especially if you're traumatized and you grew up in an environment where like you literally weren't allowed to have boundaries or you were punished for having boundaries. Like that was my experience, you know? So for me, I used to just go along with things and essentially I was re-victimizing myself or like crossing my own boundaries because I profoundly did not know that I even had boundaries or how to enforce them, you know, or how to even communicate them. So knowing what your boundaries are and like doing some internal work for yourself about like 
you know, how do you know if something is a boundary, you know? And that might be like literally really hard for some people to answer. And like, I encourage working with a therapist if that is possible. Um, or just talking to your fucking friends about it. Yeah. You know, having like a good deep conversation with your friends. Like, what do you think, of, uh, uh, you, what do you think your boundaries are in a relationship, you know, and sit around the kitchen table and drink And like, tea. how do you know? Like, how do you know that that's a boundary? Yeah. You know, I once had this therapist that I had worked with only like, maybe two or three sessions and she tried to do this exercise with me about boundaries where she physically got me to stand up in the room um and she stood on the other side of the room and she was like I'm going to take a step forward I want you to like feel in your body how that feels for you and then tell me to stop as soon as like it's a boundary and you don't want me to come closer you know she could barely make like half a step and I was like stop and not just that I was so fucking uncomfortable that I never saw her again oh fuck yeah I never saw her again and I think, honestly, like, she tried, but, like, she, I'm so traumatized that, like, that kind of physical uh, exercise was, like, way beyond my window of tolerance, you know? I was, like, fucking triggered by that. Um, and so, obviously, I had, I had to start at a much sort of, like, lower level to do this kind of work. Um, but that's where I started, you know? Like, just having someone move toward me, like, I felt totally violated by it. And being expected to, like, verbalize that was super hard, right? So... Yeah, it takes a lot of work. You can use, like, journaling and writing to kind of, like, sort through this stuff, too. Um, yeah. And, like, yeah. Or, like, I don't know. I just wanted to, like, say, like, in, in my case, something that it took me a long time to figure out was that, like, one of my boundaries is that sometimes I need to be given space. Um, particularly after, like, arguments and stuff, I get very – I just, like, my need to be alone is so strong that it, like, really overrides everything else. And um, it took me a long time to realize that that was, like, a boundary that I could actually articulate in, in like, a clear manner and not uh, just act out on it in a way where I basically, like, just would – would disappear on people, right? Which can be very hurtful for people. Totally. And communicating, so like this goes into communicating about boundaries, right? Because it's like people are going to make meaning sort of like out of your actions. Um, and so in that example, it's like, you know, you just sort of disappearing. Somebody might make meaning out of that, like you're mad at them or something, right? But if you've already communicated that that's just sort of like a boundary that you have and it's a need that you have, then they don't have to make that meaning out of it. They just know that that's like something that happens for you, right? right. Um, and so like, communicating, like figuring out what these boundaries are and then communicating about them. And like, that can be fucking hard, man. Like it's super hard to verbalize stuff. Um, and so I really encourage people to like have these types of, um, have these types of conversations in like all types of relationships and get practice doing it. Um, and just like asking each other what your boundaries are, like seeing what it feels like, um, to communicate a boundary. And sometimes there's like exercises that you can do that are like kind of ridiculous, but like like if saying no to things is like really triggering for you or hard for you, you can practice with like totally um, innocuous things. Like have your have your friend be like, hey, will you turn that light switch on? And then you're like, no, you know, um, and it's like a totally random just exercise. But you're getting practice being like, no, that's a boundary. I'm not turning the light switch on, you know, <laughs> uh, I like the darkness. Yeah. And so like that's just like a way of doing it. So communicating boundaries. um, and then, yeah, respecting other people's boundaries. So, like, people are going to communicate their boundaries to you, and you have to respect that. Um, so sometimes that's uncomfortable, you know? Sometimes we want to control other people, you know? And it's actually, like, weird. Like, I don't know. Like, I think the nexus and cancel culture is, like, very, very, very controlling and, like, is obsessed with controlling other people. Yeah, but, often. But simultaneously acts as if, no, we never do that. We don't ever like to control other people. Right. Like, we really disavow that urge and that impulse. Yeah. But it's a very human impulse. Not everybody has it. 
Um, but I think it's very common for people to feel a desire to control others um, and to get what they want, not necessarily in like a malicious way, but in a way that's like helping them feel safe or like helping them get their needs met or whatever, right? Um, we can really want to control others. And so that's not bad. It's just we have to find a way to not act on that and to respect other people's boundaries, even when that is like uncomfortable or hard for us, you know? Um, and then the next piece is compromise. So boundaries are not always like hard boundaries, right? Like sometimes they are, sometimes it's like a non-negotiable deal breaker situation. Um, and what you'll find sometimes is that boundaries, um, don't fit together sometimes. Right. And that doesn't mean that anyone's doing anything wrong. You know, there might be two people who really like each other a lot, who like want to have a particular kind of relationship together, but they find, they find that their boundaries are totally incompatible. Um, and if they've discussed and had good communication, hopefully they find that out sooner rather than later so that, you know, there's not a huge amount of hurt feelings when you realize that the boundaries are just like super incompatible. Right. And that happens. Like it's, it's totally normal. Um, and yeah, so the more communication, the better. But then there's also boundaries that are like, you know, it's like, is that a hard boundary or is that more like a desire or a request, you know? And you might find that something that you thought was like really a hard boundary is actually more flexible than you thought. Um, and it's tricky because you might also be doing that just because you don't want to lose the relationship. So you're sort of crossing your own boundaries by pretending like it's not a boundary and it's just a desire, right? So it can be tricky. It takes a lot of sort of self-awareness to know what is really a hard boundary for you and what is something that you you can be more flexible on. Um, so I, I feel like that. Do you feel like that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically, and it's also true that boundaries can change, right? Like something that might have been like a hard boundary for you at one point in your life, you may just notice one day that you're like, wow, that actually isn't a hard boundary for me anymore. And that's fine. That's normal. Um, or you might suddenly get a new boundary that you didn't have before. Um, and so that requires like some communication and it can also cause changes in your relationships as you're like integrating new boundaries into existing relationships. Yeah. And some people make a really hard distinction between boundaries and like desires or needs. Um, but I think they kind of occur on a kind of fuzzy spectrum in reality, you know? Um, and yeah, sometimes they do need to be negotiated. Like that's, that's fine and normal. Um, if it's like a really hard boundary, then maybe you don't want to negotiate it. And that's also totally fine. Yeah. And the thing is, is that, I mean, it is true that like all boundaries are like valid. It's just like, I mean, it could be a totally absurd sounding boundary to someone else, but it's like there is their choice to decide that that's a boundary for them. If you have like really intense boundaries, like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something ridiculous, but I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Like what I said earlier, like I will only talk to people who are wearing blue at the time, you know, like that's like kind of ridiculous, but like, that's fine. It just means you're probably not gonna be able to talk to a lot of people, right? Like yep. you can have that boundary. It just means that like people are probably not going to want to change into blue clothes every single time that they want to talk to you. And so it might affect your ability to build relationships, right? Um, but people are still allowed to like decide their own boundaries and other people are allowed to decide whether or not that boundary works for them. And if it doesn't, it might mean that the relationship isn't going to work out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, being explicit about these things avoids a lot of trouble later on. So like, you know, there's so many assumptions that are being made about like what people's boundaries are. And if we just talked about these things and like actually had these communications, a lot of drama would be solved by this. Um, so I really encourage people to start having these conversations and like, I don't know, being trauma informed and like attachment, um, attachment theory informed 
I think a big issue with this stuff is that for people who have a lot of trauma around like abandonment and around like being alone and who find being alone really intolerable or who like are super afraid of losing the connections that they have, the idea of being like, this is my boundary and like it's a hard boundary and if this person doesn't accept it, that means the relationship is over can be fucking terrifying because people are so afraid of like, you know, not just the experience of being alone, but also the trigger of that and like what that brings up for people with attachment trauma. Um, but if you pretend that it's not a hard boundary when it is and you cross your own boundaries, that's not doing you or the other person any good. Right. And what ends up happening is that you may have like a huge amount of resentment against the other person because you've been consenting to a dynamic that is like actually totally against your boundaries, you know? Um, but it's also weird because in a way you're also crossing that other person's boundaries yeah. because that other person wants to be in a consensual dynamic and believes that it is a consensual dynamic because you have expressed that it is, right? For sure. And so that's really tricky. Um, and I think a lot of people do this and it's not coming from a malicious place and we're not saying like, oh my God, you're such a bad person. Like I've done this shit for sure, you know? Like I've been in relationships that weren't meeting my needs and I just like was like, I am so terrified of losing this relationship. I'm just going to go along with it. And in the end, that really didn't help anybody, right? So it's hard. Um, I really think like attachment theory stuff, um, is really helpful for this. We can throw some resources in the show notes for people. If you're interested in looking more into attachment stuff, like nervous system stuff and trauma stuff, um, having a therapist and like working on like this underlying issues can make it a lot easier to be able to like say no when you need to say no. Right. Um, yeah. And then I think where we were going to go with this was kind of talking about how you, you know, we mentioned that boundaries are something that you enforce yourself, right? And that it's your responsibility to enforce. And that it's your responsibility to enforce. And, you know, we've talked about, um, Clementine and I have talked about in the past, like, uh, you know, in like kink or BDSM contexts, like if, um, if you are actively consenting to something that you actually don't want to be doing, you're kind of putting, somebody else in like a, a very compromised and, 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 and bad situation for them. Right. Um, so you do have a responsibility yeah. to, to try to figure out what your boundaries are. And I mean, that's true in all situations, like not just BDSM and kinked. Right. For sure. It's just kind of a particularly like, totally. Uh, because in that situation where you're like asking someone to go to this, like really extreme, this is kind of like weirdly off topic, but it's like, yeah, actually like I strongly believe that like doms are like in the more vulnerable position. Right. Because you're doing all sorts of crazy shit. And you're, like, trusting that this person wants you to do that stuff, right? And, like, you just – that's a consensual thing. And, like, any sane, like, I mean, healthy, like, non-abusive person is obviously not wanting, like, a fucking horrible non-consensual dynamic happening right now, right? Exactly. Um, And so you, like, are trusting. And, like, I didn't – I mean, this is not, like, a – BDSM podcast, but I'm just, like, going on a BDSM tangent right now. It's, like, when I started to top – I was like, holy fuck, I feel way more vulnerable because, you know, I'm the one initiating and taking all this action and I'm like holding in sacred trust that this person is going to fucking, you know, do the agreed upon um, signals if they need things to change or stop. Right. Um, And so, yeah, it's actually like it's our responsibility to communicate our boundaries. And when we don't communicate our boundaries, we are actually crossing other people's boundaries because those people think that they are engaging in a consensual dynamic when they're not. Right. And then where this gets complicated and grim and dark is that there are situations in which um, you cannot enforce your own boundaries for some reason. 
right? Um, and, and in that case, that means you you cannot leave. You cannot remove yourself from the situation. You cannot remove yourself from the relationship. Right. Um, and those are, you know, situations of abuse. Yeah. Um, where you're in danger for some reason or um, the other person has some method of control over you. Um, they're able to coerce you through threats or uh, something like that. You know, they hold they might hold social power over you. They might... Um, have assets that like they might share assets with you that they can then leverage. Uh, they could threaten your pet, something like that. Yeah. Right? Um, and so in that situation, it's different, right? Because you can't just enforce your boundary with someone who doesn't give a fuck about your boundary. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and there's like a range of this too, right? Like there's like, you're talking about like a very scary, like intense domestic violence situation. Right. But there's a range of it too. Like you could literally, um, I don't know, like, I guess there's like two levels to to enforcing your own boundary, right? The first is like don't yell at me when we have an argument. And if the person keeps doing that, like they're continuing to break your boundary and then the next step is I am ending this relationship, right? So you're still able to enforce your boundary to a certain extent, but you weren't able to enforce that first boundary, right? But now you're leaving. And so you are actually able to enforce it in a more sort of complete way, right? You're able to make the behavior end. End. Yeah, by, by exactly, leaving. exactly. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, there are situations, like Jay's talking about, of, like, severe abuse in which, for various reasons, you're literally trapped, right? And, like, children, for example, are, like, highly in these situations where, like, they literally don't have um, the power to, like, exit a situation um, of abuse. And for adults, if you are in a situation, yeah, like Jay was saying, some of these domestic violence situations where you have children who are being threatened, you have pets who are being threatened, um, you know, physical violence is being used to control you, et cetera, et cetera, then you actually um, are not able to enforce your own boundary. Another example of this is like just assault in and of itself, right? Like if a person is assaulting you, like physically punching you or something, you may not be strong enough or fast enough to stop that person from doing that, right? right like your course. boundary might be like, hey, don't punch me. Like we already discussed that that's, you know, an implicit boundary that should be assumed. But if somebody violates that boundary and starts doing that to you, you may not of your own accord be able to stop them, right? And that's a lot of what violence means and violence is. Um, and so... Yeah, or like stalking is another example. And a lot of these types of, uh, I mean, I guess you could call them crimes, um, are... Uh, typically seen as much more serious specifically because the victim is unable to end them in any way. Yeah, and it's basically a, an important um, component of what how we define abuse because literally, like, a person doing something that you don't like or that crosses your boundaries but that you're able to be like, okay, I'm enforcing my boundary and it's over now, that's not abuse because you were able to enforce your boundary and leave, you know? Um, but if you literally aren't able to stop it in any kind of way, you're being trapped into this situation and that is where it is like abuse. Um, and controversial, but I think important and interesting to point out is that cancellation campaigns fall under this because literally when you were being canceled and you were being harassed, the harassment is incessant. It doesn't stop and you're unable to stop it. Right. So if you're like, my boundary is I do not want, um, you know, hundreds of strangers to keep tagging me, to keep coming into my inboxes, to tell all of my friends not to be my friends anymore. This behavior is like really upsetting to me and I don't want it to happen. 
that's your boundary. Right. Like, good luck enforcing that boundary. It's right. not going to happen, right? right. Um, and so that is why, like, that is a piece of why cancel culture is abusive because it literally prevents a person from in any kind of way enforcing their own boundaries. Um, and so, yeah, if you say, I want you to stop, the person is supposed to stop. Right. Um, and in cancel culture, it doesn't work that way. No. Um, so this leads us into a concept that I call intervention. Right, which is just um, a, a lot of the time what's, what is what is called accountability is, like, wrapped up in, like, language of intervention, but in a very vague way that, as we're going to unpack, like, doesn't really um, result in intervention. Yeah, like, very often the justification for cancellation is that people are pretending that it is intervention work yeah. um, when it actually isn't. Which, yeah, we're going to get more into that when we get to the next section, I think. Yeah. But yeah. So basically intervention can be divided into two kinds. There's like soft and hard interventions, right? Soft, uh, as you can imagine, is really like it, it's barely even an intervention. What it is is like you sort of like notice something that isn't quite right and you might talk to your friends about it. Like, so let's say you have a friend and you notice that he, um, maybe he like puts down his girlfriend in like weird ways that like, you know, you're sort of like, I don't know why you needed to say that like she, whatever, that she's not a good cook for like no reason, like in front of a bunch of people or something like that. That was kind of weird and rude. And you might talk to your friend and be like, I don't know if you noticed this, but like your girlfriend like looked pretty like sad when you said that. Right. And he might be, you know, and then you can have a discussion with him. Um, or, you know, you might find that your friend is, like, posting more and more material that seems to come from, like, I don't know, like, far-right conspiracy websites or something. And you might be like, hey, man, like, I wanted to just talk to you about, like, where you're getting this information from. I think that, like, that you might be more interested in checking out this great left-wing publication, Jacobin, mm-hmm. um, and and so forth and so on, right? Um, and so that's, yeah, that's, like, a soft intervention. Um, you, I'm sure you can think of more examples for yourself. And it's really, like, the thing that distinguishes it is that there's no coercion involved in, of any kind and you're not violating anybody's boundaries by like giving them feedback or yeah. just like talking to them or engaging in some dialogue right and you're not forcing them in any way yeah and it's like always fine and appropriate i think to try to engage somebody in dialogue in good faith um yeah. i can't really think of scenarios where it wouldn't be yeah and it's always allowed right like that's the thing it's like you you can disagree with people and the thing is is that they may or may not take that feedback and yeah. they have the right to not take that feedback yeah. right like they may be like thanks for telling me that i don't agree with you i'm going to continue doing what i'm doing right um a soft intervention is for situations that it's kind of like okay you're giving the feedback but it's not a situation that warrants you trying to force this person no it's just the kind of like social interactions that keep a society together yeah you and that I mean? encourages like, responsibility yeah yeah totally um And that is distinguished from what we could call a hard intervention, right? Um, So hard intervention uses force. It does. Um, It violates somebody's boundaries. Yeah. It does. And the reason it does that is for a very specific reason. It is to stop someone else from violating someone else's boundaries in a a particularly, like, severe way that is currently ongoing or – is like such a repetitive pattern that you are sure basically beyond a reasonable doubt that it's going to occur again. Yeah. And so this is like really, really important, right? Because the concept of using force against another person is, it, is it's a really extreme thing to do. It is violating that person's autonomy. It is controlling them and like physically or like through harassment, trying to 
make that person do something that you want them to do, which and, is it's, it's a huge violation. Yeah, and as people who are interested in anarchism and have like an anarchist outlook on certain things or a lot of things, most things, um, we strongly believe that in order to do anything like that, you have to have a really good fucking reason. Yeah, like autonomy is fundamental. It is a it is a fundamental like it's one of these implicit boundaries that everyone has. Um, and to control other people or to force other people or to violate their boundaries is wrong, actually. It's wrong. And so to do that, you really have to have an extremely good reason to do it, right? And so like an example that I like to give that's just like pretty, you know, a basic, clear example is like for me to grab someone and like physically restrain them would be a huge violation of that person's bodily autonomy. I have no right to go up to someone without their consent and physically restrain them. That is wrong. However, if a person is literally swinging a punch and about to hit someone else in the face and I go up to them and I physically restrain them, I am violating their bodily autonomy, but I am doing it with the sole purpose of preventing them from violating this other person's bodily autonomy, right? And that is what gives me the ethical authority to do that in that situation. In no other situation am I allowed to do that to that person because it would be wrong, but it's because this person is currently in the act of severely violating someone else's bodily autonomy. And so this is what intervention means. And it doesn't mean that like anytime people do things that we don't like, we have the right to force them to behave in the ways that we we want them to behave. That is not correct. Um, And, you know, I think in cancel culture, people have such a hard time with this, right? Because they really do believe that they have the right and the the ethical authority to... um, use force often in cancel culture through like intense campaigns of harassment to make someone act in the ways that they want them to act. Um, or think in the ways that they want them to think. Yeah. And they, they believe that they have the right to do this because it's like, they're like, well, I have the correct sort of political and ethical views. So therefore I have the right to, to enforce those views. But like, what a, what an extremely arrogant position to be honest. Um, because you know, Political and ethical issues are extremely complex. Um, I don't think any of us can claim to have all of the answers. And to believe that we have the right to violate somebody's boundaries in order to enforce our version of what is ethical onto others is, like, totally inappropriate in my opinion, right? So when you're going to be intervening, it needs to be very clear um, if you're intervening in a hard way, right, in a way that, that uses force. It needs to be very clear Um, that you're doing so for the specific reason of preventing that person from violating another person's boundaries in a serious way. Yeah. And so what that means is if you're currently witnessing an assault unfolding, you have the right to physically intervene in that. Um, If, and this is where it gets a bit more complicated, but if you know that a person has a pattern of behaving in violent ways that profoundly violate other people's bodily autonomy, and you know that they continue to do this behavior over and over again, then this is a situation in which warning people or um, perhaps banning this person from particular spaces might be appropriate. Um, Right. However, people frequently pretend that that is what is going on in cancel culture. Um, When, you know, someone has been vaguely accused of harm Um, we think that it's okay to harass them and we pretend that that's just like warning people and letting them know that like this person is dangerous. Very often um, punishment is um, masquerading 
as intervention. Right. Um, and so, you know, we just don't want people to get away with things. Um, we want them to suffer. And so we are pretending like we're warning people by going around and, like, you know, telling everyone to harass this person. Um, but the thing is, is, like, even in a situation, you know, I mean, first of all, you know, we don't actually, like, if someone is accused of something, these accusations are very often extremely vague. We don't have a lot of information, and we're, like, incredibly willing to, like, go ahead and, like, destroy this person's life over it, right? Um it needs to be, like, very clear and specific why you're doing it. Um, it needs to be because there's, like, a very um, good reason to believe that the behavior is ongoing. And it needs to be specific to the to the area in which the, the boundary violations happen, right? And this is also, like, a very controversial thing. Yeah, because a lot of people seem to think that if someone has caused caused harm, you know, um, with quotation marks around it, that they should then be prevented from accessing life basically like they should not be allowed to attend events um whatever uh they should not be allowed to you know associate with like certain people and so on um and often they should not be allowed to have a job they should not be allowed to have a community they should not be allowed to like have like hobbies or like things that they involve themselves with right and it's honestly it's like rarely sort of like stated outright like that but that's the end result of people you know like calling your job to get you fired and like um calling for you to be banned from like everywhere that you frequent right um yeah and so in that case it, it those measures very often, anyway, have literally nothing to do with the offense that is like alleged, right? Um, so if you're, if the thing you did was you said something on the internet that people don't like, and they're calling your job to get you fired, like what the fuck does that have to do with your job? Absolutely, you know, and especially if you're a socialist, it's like a, it's like a really ridiculous thing to be threatening someone's employment, like the employment of a worker over like a political view, right? Yeah, and also saying something on the internet, like making like a tweet or something, is not violating somebody's autonomy. Right. And, you know, if we get into issues of free speech, which like this inevitably comes to, people have various opinions on free speech, right? And I think that that's fine. It's like a complicated issue. Um, But some people are very absolutist about it. Some people are less. I think that it's really important that if you are even thinking about stopping someone from saying something in a forceful manner, um, it, you, again, it's, it's like one of these situations where you're, it's like a hard intervention and you need to have like a very fucking good reason. Like for me, honestly, I think the only scenario where I'm willing to like entertain the idea that like censoring someone is a good idea is, um, really in a situation where they're like, it's like a call to action for, um, like planned out like violence against, you know, a person or an identifiable group. Um, or where it is like actively recruiting into an organization that is like either like a white supremacist organization or like a terrorist organization or something like that. Yeah, and the reason for that is because these are like re- like reasonably good indications that these people are planning to violate people's autonomy in severe and profound ways, right? And so that is why it it justifies that kind of a response, which um, violates their autonomy by preventing them from like saying something. Right? Yeah, and it's like you don't have to agree with me a hundred percent on this, you know, but I do think that um, it's important to recognize that freedom of expression, freedom of speech, you know, freedom in general is something that we have that our ancestors fought for, for generations, hundreds of years, thousands of years, 
to try to arrive at, you know? And obviously the system we live in today is not a utopia and it's not perfect, but those freedoms that we have been able to arrive at, I think are very important, are worth protecting, and are things that most people find to be very good and and, and powerful ideals, right? Um, and that we should defend as leftists. And leftists have had a long tradition of like strongly defending these things, and we should continue that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, and the thing is, is that, I mean, once we start to be more vague about like what qualifies for a hard intervention. The problem is, is that people can literally take that into all sorts of directions, right? Because we don't all agree on things. And so what pe- one person thinks, you know, we have the right to use force in order to stop another person is going to be like, what? Like, that's just like a person stating their opinion, right? Like, right. Um, and so it gets into like some really dangerous territory where people are experiencing like huge violations of their boundaries over, you know, them just exercising their basic freedom. Um, Yeah, and so, like, that kind of went on a tangent about, like, free speech and the internet. Yeah, sorry. I truly think that, like, intervention is very rarely appropriate for the internet because by its very nature, the internet is not having anything to do with people's boundaries because the internet, you can literally click unfollow. You don't have to look at it. Nobody's forcing you to look at it. And so it's literally not a violation of your boundaries, Um, except for in these extreme cases that Jay already outlined, in which it's sort of like a call to action to violate people's boundaries, in yeah. which case I think intervention is appropriate. For sure. And it's, it's funny because people will often say this kind of um, variations on this argument where they're sort of like, well, you're trying to censor people who like to cancel people. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, actually, we're not. No. Um, we don't think that you should cancel people, but we also don't think that you should be fucking harassed and fired and, and, and like, slandered or whatever for doing it. Well, there is a difference between stating an opinion and harassing someone. Right. If you are critiquing someone's ideas, go right ahead. That's not cancellation. If you're just making, you know, your own tweet in which you're like, hey, like, I read this person's work and, like, I actually disagree with it. And, like, here are my thoughts about why I think what they said is, like, super, like, not true and, like, really even, like you know, um, really bad or something. Like, you absolutely can say that. Yeah. The issue is, are you um, rounding up people to harass that person? Are you asking tons of people to... Um, are you asking or are you inciting tons of people to slide into that person's DMs and harass them? Are you calling for them to be deplatformed? Are you, like, you know, calling their boss? Are you, like, you know, making it so that they're... Every day they wake up to, like... Tons and tons of messages. Yeah, trying to get them kicked out of school, whatever it is. Yeah, like that's harassment. Yeah. This is harassment. That is not you stating a view. It is actually harassment. And that is a form of force. You're using force to try to make that person do what you want them to do. Yeah, and you should stop. And you should stop because it's actually a violation of that person's boundaries. Um, And so the, the only cases in which you know, this kind of thing is appropriate and there are situations in which it's appropriate are when that person is violating someone else's boundaries in a severe way and you need to stop them. Um, And so, yeah, and like, I think we kind of got into it, but I just want to make it clear that it needs to be specific. And so what that means is like, you know, um, in the case of like warning, right? I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good example of this, but it's like, um, you know, if someone has, and this is, I'm going to say something really controversial and people are going to be mad about it, but I'm just going to say it. Um, say someone has repeatedly assaulted someone else, right? Um, they've had more than one, um, relationship in which they assaulted their partner, even let's say that's really serious. Um, in that case, I think that it would make sense 
um, to talk to their new partner about that information, you know, that would be, um, an intervention, um, in which, you know, you're sharing information without that person's consent. Um, but you're also doing it to, um, protect this person from potentially having their boundaries violated in a really extreme way. Um, in some cases, I even think going public and like warning people about a particular person publicly, like on the internet can be appropriate if this person, um, you know, has repetitively violated people's boundaries in like a really severe way. However, that person being someone who assaults people, like that intervention needs to be about relationships that they're in because that is where their violence takes place. Them being in a band, for example, has nothing to do with them assaulting people. They're separate issues. And the person being in a band is just the person being in a band. And sort of calling for everybody to like boycott their band or like have their band broken up because you don't believe they should be assaulting people is not intervention. Right, because it's it's addressing a totally separate thing, right? Um, I mean, maybe it might be different if the person was using their, um, you know, if they were sort of like sleeping with groupies and like assaulting them or something, then maybe the ban would be more relevant. But, you know, basically the issue is that like, you know, someone having the opportunity to self-actualize as a human, in, in this case being a musician, which is something that makes them feel good, a way for them to like self-express, whatever, um, that's not related to the kind of intervention that you're trying to do. Exactly. And so I think the reason people find, you know, when I say this, they find it really triggering and they get really upset. Um, but I think if we, if we look deeply at what is going on with the impulse there, we have to admit that it's punishment because the person being in the band is totally unrelated to the the situations of violence that they have that they have enacted. And so if we're if the goal is to stop the violence, then the intervention needs to be specific towards like warning people who are in intimate relationships with this person or who might become in intimate relationships with this person about this behavior, right? Um, you know, also hopefully the intervention would also include trusted friends, you know, reaching out to this person and offering, you know, to get them hooked up with therapy and like support groups and whatever it is that they might need. Um, But them being in a band is totally irrelevant to that. And so the impulse to take away the nice things from people who have acted in ways that are abusive or that cross people's boundaries is actually an impulse towards punishment. It's an an impulse to say, um, you don't deserve that anymore. You know, a band is is a privilege. It's a nice thing and it can be taken away, right? And I fundamentally disagree with that. I believe that people, human beings, have the right to have full, beautiful lives even when they have done things that are objectively um, abusive or that cross people's boundaries and so on. Um, So people may disagree with me on that. They might um, believe that that's not true and that's fine. I don't agree with them, but I think it's very important that we're clear that that is a separate issue from intervention and it confuses It confuses the conversation when we pretend that taking away unrelated things from people is somehow intervening on violence, you know? We need to be specific. It's like, you might think that that's an okay thing to do. You might think that that person doesn't deserve to be in a band. But call it what it is. But call it what it is. You believe that a person who has done this objectionable act no longer has the right to have a band. 
that could be a position that you take, but that is not intervening on violence. Yeah, and it's also reasonable for people to challenge that position. Yeah, and I do challenge it. Um, So before we move on, I just want to talk a little bit about concrete examples of intervention because Jay and I both have, like, some experience doing this kind of work, and I think that, like, for as much as we go on and on about, like, accountability in cancel culture and in the nexus, like... Literally nobody teaches you anything about intervention. And I would say that intervention is actually like probably like the most important piece, maybe either responsibility or intervention. I think they're both really good. Um, But like intervention is such an important skill because like violence is fucking abhorrent. It's wrong. And like if it's happening, it is my fucking responsibility to intervene. And I take that very seriously. I do not take violence lightly. If I see it, I fucking stop it. And like I think a lot of people would be like, what the fuck, Clementine? Like what do you mean? You know, like I'm literally like five one, like how the fuck am I going to stop it? Right. But I can, and I do. And I have a lot of experience with that. Um, I'm not saying that everyone is necessarily going to feel comfortable, like intervening on a violent situation, but I do think that growing that skill. And if more and more of us feel capable and competent doing that work, I think we would, that's actually work towards building safer communities. So do you have anything to say about that? Because I know you have some experience. Well, yeah. I mean, I worked as an intervention worker for a while um, and uh, in the context of like working with uh, homeless people um, and or street involved people in general, actually. And um, yeah, I mean, my entire job was intervening constantly in in often quite violent situations. I got punched a lot of times. Um, Luckily, mostly like slow motion, like underwater drunk punching. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you see two people that are about to go at it, like you can physically put your body in between them. Um, it is not always the best idea, but it can happen. You know, generally what you want to do, I mean, I guess now we're going a bit of a tangent, but like generally what you want to do is you want to like identify the person who is the most kind of, um, amenable to like interacting with you basically. Um, and you want to engage that person. And you want to try to get them to move away with you. Um, That's a really good way to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, you might have like one guy who's like hammered as fuck and another guy who's just sort of like really pissed that the hammered guy keeps like bumping into him and is like about to like swing, you know. But the guy who's like less hammered might be more amenable to like looking you in the eyes, um, being like, hey, that's Jay. I know Jay, you know, and then you can be like, hey, bro, like uh, we're going to why don't you just come have a cigarette with me, you know, and like you don't have to worry about this guy. This guy's just being an idiot, you know, and mm-hmm. you can be like, yeah, what an idiot. And you're like, yeah. He's being an idiot. Right. We're going to move away. You know? De-escalated. Um, yeah. Or, you know, you might see somebody who, yeah, is like on like a wicked like crack bender and is going to go take a swing at somebody. But she is like five feet tall. And um, if she punches this giant like dude, she is going to get like thrown across the room. And then you might be like, OK, so I'm going to like put my body in between them. If she punches me, it's not that big of a deal um, because she's tiny and I can take it or whatever. And then we can sort of like grab her elbow and kind of like just move her a little bit further away and then distract her for example you know what I mean and so I'm talking about like these very particular kind of scenarios in like the context of like a homeless shelter or um, doing street intervention or something like that but they work quite well for a lot of scenarios you know mm-hmm. and that can include like even just two people who are like triggered as hell and are like yelling at each other or having some kind of an argument and they don't have to be like sort of like um, you know, violent like people or anything. Um, but you can deescalate often by just sort of like, you know, reaching out to the one who seems to be the most amenable and trying to like interact with them until they're like less triggered, you know? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and then, I don't know, like, we've seen, like, uh, one day Clementine and I were walking down the street and, like, there was a scenario where, like, this guy was screaming at this woman and, like, it kind of looked like it was about to get heated and then, you know, we literally just walked over. Um, we just kind of, like, Clementine stood there to be like, I am standing here, like, looking at what's going on, you know? I, like, uh, you know, put myself in between them, talked to the dude, and I was like, uh, yeah, this it seems like um, this woman was probably just going to leave. It's going to be fine. And he was like, yeah, she better leave or whatever. And then and then he, like, walked away. And, yeah. You know? Yeah, I've been intervening on violent situations since I was, like, 18 years old, and, like, I first started doing it literally just, like, as a drunk, street-involved person who, like, literally had no idea what I was doing, but I just could not tolerate seeing violence happen in front of me, and so I always... I always have intervened. I've done this many, many times. I have no training, but I feel like I learned a lot along the way. Um, the situations for me were more like the one that Jay just described, where it's like random strangers that I have no um, prior relationship with. And very often it's been domestic violence situations. Um, I think I truly have an eye for it and I see when it's about to unfold. Um, so often like I'll be walking, you know, just like on the street or whatever. And I see like a couple in a heated argument and like what I'll do is I'll just step back. I won't involve myself, but I'll keep an eye on it for a little bit and just see how it's going, you know? Um, and then if I see it start to get physical, um, if people are raising fists at each other, if someone's grabbing someone, um, pushing them, then I involve myself. And, you know, for me, like the general way that I would do this, would there's basically like two different strategies. I, I would, and I don't really know what, you know, how I would decide this. It's sort of like intuitive, I guess. Sometimes I would um, talk to the targeted person and be like, hey, are you okay? Do you need anything? Do you want to like come with me? Um, and other times I would go directly to the, um, the person who's being aggressive and I would look them straight in the eye and would, you know, like assertively, but not like over the top angry, just like assertive, be like, hey, this isn't happening right now. Like um, you need to cool off. Things like that are usually what I would say. Yeah. Um, and like... Often just having like a witness and like somebody involving um, themselves can be enough for the person to sort of be like, whoa, like there's somebody else involved now. This is like, you know, different than just me attacking this one person. I am guess them to sort of take a step back and like look at the situation. Um, and basically like for me, the goal of this is simply to stop the violence from happening, de-escalate it, um, and give the targeted person the opportunity to leave if they want to. So, you know, if, if the person's like, if I'm like, Hey, do you need to get out of here? And the person's like, yeah, I got to go. Then it's like my job to be like, Hey, we're leaving. Um, and often it's scary and hard because, uh, often it's like a dude who's like literally twice my size, who is like, what the fuck? Like, no, you're not. And I'm like, yes, we are, you know? Um, and we have, and I've done this many times and it is scary. And I definitely like feel really nervous when I do it. But I think, like, some important um, key pieces to this is, like, one, this is not a performance. It is not a spectacle. It is not you, like, shaming or educating this person in any way. Yeah. Like, you don't need to be going on any weird political rants. No. You don't need to be insulting the person who's being aggressive or, like, calling them names. Um, none of that is going to help. And you don't, you don't need to be ranting to the, like, victim in the situation no. either. It's just not helpful. Like, it's, like, be calm, be assertive, and, like... Yeah, just basically be like, this isn't happening and we're we're, we're going to change the situation, you know? Um, don't be dramatic about it. Like, I'm just always thinking about, like, cancel culture and how, like, over the top people are. I'm like, none of this would be helpful in one of these actual <laughs> situations. Like, yeah, it's just seriously, like... So, like, like, estranged from the real world. Yeah, it's like, this would just totally, like, increase 
like how stressful and like, you know, triggered everybody is, right? Like you're not shaming people. You're not scolding people. You're just trying to let the person leave if they want to leave, you know? And sometimes they don't want to leave and that's also fine. It's not my job to tell, you know, this woman like, hey, you're not allowed to like stay here with your abusive boyfriend. It's actually her fucking right to do that. It's just my job as a responsible member of my community to give her the option to leave if she wants to, you know? totally. And that's, you know, that's all I can do. And you you can intervene in, like, ongoing relationships, too, where you feel abuse might be taking place. But, I mean, it's it's really complicated, you know? And, again, like, you can't force someone to leave a relationship. Um, In fact, it's very dangerous to try. Um, but you can make it very clear to that person that they're, that you'll always be there, um, for them, no matter what happens, you know, you can make it clear that if they ever need help for any reason, you know, that they can come talk to you. Yeah. Um, and you can sort of like try to, try to like work through some of their, um, you know, if they're sort of experiencing a bit of like Stockholm syndrome situation, you can sort of like try to work through that with them. Um, but it's, it's a complicated thing that would definitely take like an entire other like episode or podcast to, to even, I feel like because you opened it up. I have to say a few things about it now Um, because I'm a domestic violence survivor and I've also been involved with other domestic violence survivors in groups and stuff doing like safety planning. And so I've had a lot of experience like listening to domestic violence survivors talking about their experiences and I just like know a lot about it. Um, And so there's a couple key points. If you know that your friend is in an abusive relationship and here we're talking about an abusive relationship, meaning they are um, trapped and they are unable to leave, right? Right. Um, and so these are situations where the the other partner is like using physical violence, using like threats to maybe children or pets, um, and in various ways, you know, making it so dangerous to leave that the person is staying, right? Right. That kind of situation. So there's a couple key things if you want to like, you know, do some intervention there or like basically support the victim in um leaving and like the thing is is that statistically when someone leaves a relationship like that that is their highest percentage chance of dying um because uh that is the most likely time for the abuser to like act in a way that is lethal um so it's an extremely dangerous time and so like pressuring someone or like trying to like make them leave is like not a good idea. Um, it's more about like supporting that person to make a plan to leave, like when they feel ready to do that, you know, um, talking shit about the abuser and being like, this person is a piece of shit all the time is going to make the person stop talking to you about what's happening. So if you want this person to confide in you, you can't shit talk the abuser. You can say like, I don't think that that was okay that he did that. Or like, I don't think it's okay that they're talking to you that way. Yeah. Or Um, like, how do you feel? Yeah. Like you can state that you think things are wrong. And I think that that is good because the abuse is being normalized. So it's okay to be like, wow, that's really scary. Like I, that shouldn't have happened, but just don't over the top be like, oh, he's such a piece of shit because the person is probably dealing with like complex feelings of like both love and also, you know, fear. And so they're going to feel, um, you know, like they can't talk to you about that. Um, one of the best things that you can do if you're able is to give the person a key to your house and be like, you you can use it whenever you want. No questions asked if you need to get out and have somewhere to go. Um, so yeah, that's just like some basic, um, advice about that. It is like a way bigger issue. And I feel like, yeah, we could talk about it. Um, but all this to say, like, you know, we take um, intervening on violence very, very seriously. It's extremely important because violence is abhorrent and wrong, and everyone has the right to be free of violence. Um, And so when violence is happening in our communities, we actually have an ethical responsibility to try to intervene to the best of our ability. And, like, what that ability is 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 different, right? Like, not everyone's going to feel comfortable, like, going up and, like, involving themselves um, in that way. 
Um, but I think that we should be growing these skills. We should be having like workshops about de-escalation. We should be teaching each other how to do these things. Um, and that would do so much more for community safety than any of this cancellation stuff. Right. And this is why it's like so offensive when people imply that to be against like cancel culture bullshit is to not care about survivors yeah. or not care about violence or not care about abuse that might be taking place. Right. Because like actually cancel culture is completely incapable of of addressing any of this. Yeah, shit, it doesn't know? do it. Like you can't cancel somebody who might like kill his fucking girlfriend. Like that doesn't. It doesn't work. It doesn't compute, you know? Yeah, it doesn't work. Um, it's a completely ridiculous idea. Um, and, and yeah, like, you, you know, also, like, if you fucking see somebody about to, like, swing on his girlfriend on the metro or something, yeah. like, you can't cancel him yeah, to stop that from occurring. It's absurd. Yeah. Um, there's just one other piece that I wanted to mention about the intervention sort of, like, tips before we move on, which is the question of cops. Um, and so, I mean, generally speaking, calling the cops is, like, a decision that can have really big consequences for the people involved, including the person who's being targeted, I would advise against calling the cops. Um, and it can be tricky because it's like if you hear, like, you know, your neighbor screaming or something, you might just be like, oh, my God, I'm going to call the cops. Um, but unfortunately, in many instances, the victim of the violence is charged Um as well as or instead of the person who is actually inflicting the violence, there can also be like other situations like around like citizenship or whatever in which um, the person is like put at further risk because the police got involved. Right. It can be really complicated. It can be really complicated and difficult. So, yeah, like I just think a lot of people that's when they see violence, that's like their first sort of that's what they think intervention is. Um, yeah. And, you know, cops have guns and are scary and um, often can increase violence or can, like, you know, they have no de-escalation skills. It was so, yeah, they're, like, literally not trained to do that they shit. They don't know how to do it at all. And when I was working as an intervention worker, it would drive me fucking crazy, man, because they would just, like, show up and, like, immediately escalate the situation, like, 10,000 degrees, yeah. you know? And then often, yeah, like, take away, like, some guy for, who was being, like, shitty to, like, a, a street-involved woman or something. And then, like, literally, like, eight hours later, he's just back and he, like, beats the shit out of her, you know? Yeah, it does nothing. So, like, yeah, that's just something to keep in mind for people who are, like, new to this work is that, like, cops are not um, an effective strategy. So I feel like that is um, – that's pretty much it for intervention. Um, and so the last um, the last piece that we wanted to talk about is punishment. And so punishment, I mean, in um, cancel culture and calls for accountability, we, like – I don't think people ever openly admit that they're trying to punish people. Not usually. Um, but the word accountability is like literally just like a screen for it so much of the time anyway. Yeah. And so nobody openly admits that. Um, but very often that is literally what is happening. It's punishment. Um, at the very least, I would like people to get honest about this, right? Like if I can't convince people that punishment is wrong, at the very least, I would like people to at least be honest and stop kind of like conflating punishment with intervention or other things, right? Right. Um, so basically, punishment is violating someone's boundaries because they either have or have been accused of violating someone else's boundaries in the past. And also, it works in this way where it strips people of their right to have boundaries. So, like, very often, you know, we will see these situations where it's, like, the fact that someone is, like, quote, a known abuser means that you can basically do whatever you want to this person. Like, you're allowed to harass them. You're allowed to, like, try to get them fired from their job. You're allowed to, like, you know, um, tell all their friends not to be their friend anymore. Um, you're allowed to just basically do whatever you want. Right. Um and to me, I'm like, that's such a huge violation of this person's um, boundaries and autonomy. And it's like, how do you justify it? 
Yeah. How do you justify it? It's not intervening on anything. No, it isn't. But the logic of punishment... Is retribution. Is retribution. And it's just that, like, a person deserves it because they did this bad thing. Right. Right? And to me, like, this is a very disturbing logic because it means that, like, we're forever defined by the worst things that we've ever done. Um, And it basically gives you zero, like, zero incentive to take responsibility or to change because how, what would be the point? If you're going to forever be defined by the worst thing that you've ever done and you're always going to have to face punishment for that thing, you know, then why change? Right. Why do all of the hard work of changing if you know that for the rest of your life people are going to call you a rapist and they're not going to let you have a band or they're not going to let you, um, like, whatever, have a new girlfriend or, like, I don't know, like, any of these things that, that people are not allowed to do. Or just have a fucking job at, like, a cafe or whatever. And be free yeah. of harassment, you know? Yeah. And, like... I don't know. People feel really um, sensitive about this topic and they are upset that like I am trying to extend so much compassion and like humanity to people who might be rapists or, um, you know, have caused serious um, like violence towards other people um, or even more minor boundary violations, you know, Um, and they think that that means that I don't care about survivors. And I'm like, that couldn't be further from the truth. Like I am a survivor. Right. I deeply care about survivors. It's, like, incredibly important to me that um, survivors get the care that they need um, to heal. I think that what happened to them was fucking wrong. I think that intervening on violence is super important. And I think that punishing people does nothing to create justice, does nothing to, like, transform the situation at all. And actually what it's doing is it's producing more violence. It's producing more boundary violations. Um, it's hurting more people. Um, and that doesn't give anything back to the person who was initially, um, hurt or had their boundaries violated. Right. Um, And and it usually makes it almost impossible for the person involved to start working on themselves. Absolutely. You know, um, unless they happen to be like a particularly sort of like well put together and like strong minded kind of person or something. But yeah, I mean, if you're experiencing like a just horrifying, um, campaign where you've lost all your friends, your job, uh, whatever, like how the fuck are you going to be like stable enough to start asking yourself questions about like whether, you know, you know, like, let's say you are somebody who like, yeah, like assaulted someone or something like that. Like, honestly, like most people who do that are not like psychotic monsters. Um, and you know, they can definitely like change. Yeah, absolutely. And and so, yeah. How, how do you get through to them? Is it through this, like a, a campaign of retribution? Like, very unlikely. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And also, like, in terms of supporting survivors, I'm like, I'm fucking sick and tired of the abuser-survivor dichotomy. It is a known fact that survivors of severe child abuse shit often become addicts and often act in all sorts of crazy fucked up ways, you know? Yeah. A lot of people who commit violence, like, when they're drunk and high and acting insane— are literally survivors of child abuse, you know? And so I have so much fucking compassion for them. Like, they are survivors of child abuse, and they deserve compassion, and they deserve, like, the chance to heal and to, like, recover from their complex trauma, you know? Yeah. Um, They are not just an abuser. They're also a survivor, and I think that's true for a lot of people. Um, And another piece is that, like, I'm a fucking abolitionist. Like, I fundamentally do not believe in punishment. Like, I don't believe, like, jail, like, prison, by its basic, um, you know— what it is, is it's literally to violate someone's boundaries in, like, the most profound way by taking away their freedom and locking them away, right? Yeah. Taking away their bodily autonomy in such a profound way as punishment for something that they did, you know? And I think that's, like, s- disgusting and wrong, you know? 
And, you know, doing a lesser version of that in community where we don't lock them in a box, but we take away all the good things in their life. We like prevent them from moving on. We prevent them from having community. We prevent them from like ever having things that they can like love and feel excited about in their lives. Like that's literally such severe punishment. Um, And I'm just like super not okay with it. I think that people have the right to have beautiful, full lives, even if they have fucked up and done like horrible things for sure and yeah like a cancellation campaign is not literally the same as being incarcerated but it shares a logic with carceral logic in that it is retributive based on retribution yeah um yeah and i mean they're both violating people's autonomy yeah in totally different ways like i'm not conflating them and saying that it's the same but they are both violating people's autonomy. And so basically we're like, well, we're abolitionists. So like, you know, like a lot of people will be like, we're abolitionists. So we don't believe in like the carceral state and like violating people's boundaries in this like really, really severe way. But we do believe in violating people's boundaries in this like lesser way that's done by the community. And it's like not as bad because it's like, you're not actually locked up and you're not actually subjected to like the physical violence of police. And you don't actually get a court date or a lawyer. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I'm like, that's, it's like, yeah, I'm definitely not saying it's the same thing, but it's it's still fucking wrong. Like, violating people's um, boundaries and, like, not allowing them to, like, have a life and permanently defining them by, like, what they've been accused of or the worst things that they ever did is just, it's it's punishment. It's punitive logic that, to me, is, is wrong. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, okay, just before we say, like, our last little piece, I, there's something that's been sort of, like, getting at me this whole time, and I, I think I'm going to try to articulate it now, which is that there is, like, a sort of lineage of what has been called, like, transformative justice or, like, um, these, like, structures of accountability that are often traced to a sort of specific scene of, like, definitely very, like, black influence, kind of, like, American, um, not kind of American, definitely American, um, community organizing, like, I guess, like, kind of in the Midwest is my, like, idea of where it's coming from, but, like, whatever. Um, And what I find so fucking offensive is how people who have literally no connection whatsoever to anything resembling that use language that they have, like, like, grafted off of that um, in order to justify their own, like, whack fucking behavior. Right. Um, And kind of hide behind this idea that, like, it is a... Um, like a, a black community organizer kind of thing that I'm doing. Um, right. And, and, and it's therefore also because they're identitarians, they're like, it's therefore obviously good and fine yeah. no matter what. Um, and, and, and sort of like stealing the valor of this work that people have done that I imagine has probably come from like really good um, places often, you know, and, and, and often actually does come from like an abolitionist framework where mm-hmm. they're like, you know, like how can we stop cycles of violence from occurring within our own communities and stuff? Take that logic or no, sorry, not that logic, but take that um, framing and and like the words associated with it and stuff and apply it to like completely different um, forms of behavior that have nothing to do with that. Um, and, you know, try to pretend that the, um, you know, whatever, like yelling at somebody on the Internet until they kill themselves is the same as like a, um, a mediation session attended by like some of your neighbors and like, um, you know, well-respected community leaders and like a minister from the church that you went to when you, when you were a kid to try to like get you to stop, um, engaging in like violence towards the women in your life or something like that. You know what I mean? They're completely fucking different. Right. And I think that frankly, it's like really racist that people keep trying to do this. Um, it bothers me a lot and I haven't been able to really articulate it until now, but I think that it's like an important thing to say. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of want to jump off that and like add another point that is really which is that, you know, I mean, 
people acting in ways that violate other people's boundaries, um, that has always been going on in all sorts of communities all throughout time, right? In ev- literally every yes. human community. And so what that yeah. means is that there's been many, many, many attempts to sort of address that. Yeah. There's been many, many different attempts to address this. It's practically endless. And like there's been many different attempts to address this without relying on police um, and trying to like, you know, create um, healthy like um, responses that you know, transform the situation and, like, help heal everyone involved. Like, you know, many different kinds of um, contexts. Like, I'm sure if you were to, like, look into it, I'm sure that this has happened more than once. Like, I'm just going to I'm just gonna take a stab in the dark. I mean, yes, absolutely, you for know? sure. And, like, as a fucking anthropologist, I can tell you definitively that there are, like, thousands and thousands and thousands of different ways to try to resolve conflict. Of course, and that's what I would assume. Just yeah. basically assume that, you yeah. know? Um, but what happens sort of on the internet in this American-centric weird worldview that people have on social media where they assume everything originated in the United States at all times. Right. Um, like there's this assumption that this particular lineage that you're talking about, which to be honest, I don't know that much about, like I can name some of the thinkers and some of the books, like one book that comes to mind is the revolution starts at home. I think that's reflective yeah, of, yeah. of what you're talking about. Um, and definitely like the terms like restorative justice and transformative justice and this like particular lineage, um, Basically, when you start talking about the things that we've talked about in this episode, people will kind of like connect the two and assume that like what we're saying is coming out of that lineage, right? Right. Um, and I'm sure it's been influenced by it just because it's like we're on the internet. Um, like that's that sort of discourse has been in the larger culture for a while. Like the word transformative justice, for example, is definitely something I've heard about and know about. But actually, for myself, and, like, I think I can speak for you, too, in this. Yeah. Like, Go for it. our knowledge about this stuff does not come from that, actually. No. It comes specifically from our, our lived experience as addicts who have committed violence ourselves, have witnessed violence a lot, have intervened on violence, and our experience as... Um, people who have practiced the 12 steps. And so like the 12 steps is actually where we draw the majority of our knowledge about um, taking responsibility. Like that comes from the 12 steps. And it's actually like a different model from what is put forward um, by transformative justice thinkers. I think that there's overlap for sure, because it's like, these are kind of obvious ideas that probably lots of people have thought of. But this is a very specific lineage that's actually coming from like a bunch of dudes in the 1930s who wrote this book that we have read many times. Yeah, a bunch of like Christian anarchists. Yeah, and so like, this is the lineage that we come out of. um, And it's what we know because we practiced it like for real many, many times, like sponsoring people, working with people to take responsibility and so on. Right. So it's, it's a little annoying to me because I'm like, there are different lineages and there are different people who have been doing this work. I'm sure like literally all over the world, all throughout history. Um, and they each have things to offer, but they aren't all the same. Right. Yeah. yeah. And to flatten all different kinds of, um, you know, whatever responses to conflict and so on. And just like pretend that whatever you're doing has to be the same as, um, you know, a specific lineage of like, like, I guess black women in Chicago or whatever, um, is racist and wrong. And, and and the thing is, is like, I'm like, I will cite the thinkers that I've engaged with. right? Right. And so it's like, to be honest, like I have some of these books on my bookshelf. Like I've started reading the revolution starts at home. Um, I'm a big fan of Leah Lakshmi, Pips, Nasera, Messina. And like, I know her work, but like, I, I don't, I haven't read that book all the way through, you know, it's like on my huge long reading list. Um, so it would be like weird of me. I would also bet that 99.99% of the people who who are are like engaged in this discourse also have not read that fucking book. 
important book and I think we all should read it. Um, but it's like, it's like, it would be dishonest of me to sort of like trace my thoughts back to that book because that's not where my thoughts come from. They come literally from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's yeah. like, I'm going to be honest, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, that was like a weird aside. Um, yeah. so and we need to wrap this up pretty soon, but we're just going to like throw one last thing in, which is just that um, often in the nexus, people will be like, well, listen, what your experience isn't cancellation. It's just consequences yeah. for your actions. Yeah. You know? Um, and so we wanted to kind of like dispel that a little bit and, and briefly sort of talk about the difference between consequences and, and punishment. Yeah. Because they're different things. And so basically... Um, Consequences are a real thing. Um, and basically what it means is that, um, you know, when we make certain choices, they have certain results. Um, and those results are not always positive or they're not always ones that we would like, right? Um, and so we basically have divided the true meaning of consequences into two things. One is personal boundaries and the other is site-specific interventions. And so an example of a personal boundary consequence would be, for example, I start um, writing about... The fact that I oppose cancel culture on the internet openly. My fans who very strongly believe in cancel culture may choose to no longer support my work. They may choose to unfollow me. They may choose no longer to buy my zines because they strongly disagree with what I'm saying. Right. That is totally fine and normal. Um, that is their right. That is their boundary, right? Like they don't want to support a thinker who they don't agree with. Um, yep. They're allowed to do that, right? Yep. They're even allowed to like write, you know, a piece talking about how they really don't agree with me and challenging my ideas, right? Right. Um, another example of like a personal um, boundary type of consequence would be, you know, I agreed, for example, not to yell in arguments and I did that multiple times and the person who set that boundary with me is like, I'm no longer going to be in this relationship, right? Right. Um, because you have broken my boundary several times. That's a consequence. That's, I broke someone's boundary a bunch of times. They no longer want to be in a relationship with me. That's right. a consequence. So an example of like a site-specific intervention would be, oh yeah, you, you came up with a good one for this. Oh yeah, just basically like, you know, in, at, at AA meetings, there's a treasurer. Right, who, who handles the money. Who handles the money. And um, it's an, an important job, you know, you got to, you have to pass the hat around and then count the shitty change that you get and yeah. then, and then, you know, put it in the box and lock the box and put the box away and all this. Um, and we need that money so we can buy coffee and fucking pay the rent at the church basement, you know? Um, and sometimes people steal the money yeah, because, because it's a bunch of fucking alcoholics and <laughs> we do things like that, you know? Um, you might relapse and be like, I really fucking just want to get fucked up or whatever it is. It happens, you know? Yeah, and so a site-specific intervention would be... You don't get to be the treasurer anymore. You don't get to be the treasurer <laughs> you anymore. You stole the money, not allowed to be the treasurer anymore. Right? And so you see how this makes sense, how, like, the, the consequence is related to the action. Yeah. And it's specific to this area where it's like, you know, maybe this person is not going to be trusted with money for a while until they've sort of reestablished trust. Because they have literally done something that broke people's trust in their ability to do that. Right. That's a natural consequence, right? Right. So the thing is, is that cancel culture is not consequences because a small group of people, or sometimes a larger group of people, use harassment to force other people to make the same choices that they're making. Yeah, or to submit them to their worldview or... Yeah, and so basically what that means, like let's unpack it a little bit, is that, you know, the example that I gave of like, okay, Clementine, you know, overtly does not like cancel culture anymore, so I'm going to unfollow Clementine. Well, that's your choice. And maybe you and 30 other people are going to unfollow me. Maybe like, you know, you and a thousand other people are going to unfollow me of their own free will. 
But if you make a post that says Clementine Morgan is a piece of shit who like doesn't support survivors because they're talking all of this shit about cancel culture. Why are my followers following Clementine Morgan? I'm looking at you. And then you tag, you know, the 10 people that you're following who are following me. What you're doing is you're bullying those people into doing what you want them to do. Right. You're you're harassing them on the internet. You're publicly calling them out and you're not giving them the space to make their own decision about what they think about my work, right? Right. You're coercing them. And a lot of people take part in these um, cancellation campaigns passively because they're just like, I don't want to be harassed, right? Yeah. Um, and honestly, like recently someone that I, I know online was canceled. I literally received like 15 messages from, from random people some of whom I knew, some of whom I did not know. In like a day or two. In a day, yeah. like telling me, hey, I noticed that you're following this person. Um, this person has said like really inappropriate things on Twitter. I'm just wondering why it is that you think it's okay to follow them. And I'm like, this is so wildly inappropriate. Like that is not a consequence. A consequence would, would be me myself of my own free will and volition being like, hey, actually I'm uncomfortable with this. I'm going to unfollow. Right. But I wasn't uncomfortable with it. I did not want to unfollow. I also don't believe that I have to unfollow someone just because they say a certain thing that I maybe I don't agree with. Like, that's just not how I follow people or don't follow people. Like, I allow people to have diverse opinions, some of which I agree with and some of which I don't. Yeah, you can be friends with people you disagree with, by the way. I just want to yeah. put that out there. As and, like, like a, <laughs> as I personally choose to do that, you know? And, like, whatever. I did not feel I needed to unfollow this person. So, like, that's not a consequence when other people are, like, coercing and bullying people to to do the same thing, right? And cancel culture works that way. It's a campaign in which you aren't just even attacking the person who's being canceled, but you're attacking all of their supporters until they also cancel the person. That is not just like a passive consequence of the person's actions. It's not a natural consequence of the action because if just like left to its own free will, lots of people would think lots of different things. Some people would be like, huh, I don't really care about this. So I don't, I'm not going to change my behavior. Other people would be like, wow, actually really, I'm excited about this. I'm, I'm supporting this person and what they're saying. Other people would be like, no, this isn't for me and I'm mad about it. I'm going to unfollow. Yeah. And it would be a range of responses, but cancel culture collapses all of that into punishment and doesn't allow people to make different choices. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much that. Yeah. So, I mean, this was like a really heavy episode. We packed a lot into it. Yeah. Um, Sorry it was so long. Yeah. I mean, we have a problem with that. We're going to try to not do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Um, but yeah, just like thank you for, um, you know, being with us through this um, kind of heavy and intense conversation. I'm sure it brought up a lot of things for a lot of people. Um, I'm sure it was triggering for a lot of people. It's like really against the orthodoxy. And I think for a lot of people who have survived violence, like um, hearing about giving compassion to people who enact violence can be really, really triggering. Um, but it's just like, you know, know that like we abhor violence and we think that the fucked up shit that happened to you is fucked up and wrong. And we wish that it didn't happen. Um, and we want to, we want to move towards building worlds where like that shit doesn't happen. Yeah. We're deeply committed to ending violence. And that's why we work closely and personally with people who have caused violence and like cross people's boundaries and help them to do the healing work that they need to do to not do that anymore, right? Yeah. And we know that shaming them and scolding them and taking away their community is not going to help them do that work, you know? And so— And, and ultimately that the kind of world— um, the kind of world in which we really don't need prisons, the kind of world in which we can actually abolish police— Yeah. Because that's not the world that we live in right now, by the way— is— a socialist world and we cannot build socialism when the left is so fucking fragmented, dysfunctional and incapable of moving forward. Right. And this is literally why we fucking care about, 
about criticizing the left all the fucking time is because we want a functional left so that we can build socialism so that violence is not something that so many people have to deal with so often. Um, we sincerely believe that, you know, and if you want to fucking abolish the police, man, I'm all for it. You know, I, I fucking had to work with the police a lot when I was working at that shelter as an intervention worker and it fucking sucked. They're really bad at their jobs. They make everything worse. But like, like if we just got rid of the police tomorrow in, in our current extremely hierarchical capitalist society, what you end up with is just fucking capitalists with private armies. Yeah. You know, and we need to build socialism so that we can actually get rid of the police. Um, and we can't build socialism when the left is just like a bunch of aesthetic posturing and cancel culture. Yeah, so absolutely. That's that. Um, uh, yeah. And if you want to send us hate mail, um, please do. Uh, you can send us hate mail at fucking canceled at gmail.com. Um, fucking has no you because Gmail wouldn't let us and canceled has two L's because we're Canadian. And you can also support us on Patreon, which is just patreon.com slash fucking canceled with two L's. Um, thank you all so much for being on this journey with us. We love you. Yeah, take it easy. Entendu du monde dire que je suis un OG. <laughs> J'étais comme damn, what the fuck? Cause I still feel like a newbie. Rappeur de 28 ans, out of luck. Trop de ESL rappers, fallait que je keep it real. C'est beau l'anglais, mais that's not really how I live.